This is the Manga Mavericks Podcast, episode 206. We are a podcast not only dedicated to talking about manga as a medium, but as an industry. I'm Colton. And I'm Ramiyasha. And today we have another one of our monthly news episodes where we are going to be discussing news that we've been putting up talking for the last couple of months. That's right. Today we will finally, finally go over a bunch of poll and list news that we've been saving up from the last couple of news episodes because they have just been so much news in this first half of 2022. Finally, we're going to catch you up on the latest book scan and New York Times list. We're finally going to talk about the book scan report for this year. Going to talk about the Oricon list for sales of manga for the first half of this year. And in addition to all that, we got a lot of other spattering of serialization and licensing news and a lot of anime news, including a lot of really exciting news. So, yeah, uh, it's going to be another packed news episode as we head in to our midsummer here. And this is ahead of the big con season blitz of licensing announcements. You know, this is, you're listening to this on the July 4th-ish weekend, you know, where AX is happening. Just imagine all the big news that we're going to have to cover in the episode after next when it comes to licensing things and all that stuff. Oh, it never ends. <laughs> no, no, it really doesn't. <laughs> uh, well, we'll just save that for August. Yeah, but the buck had to stop somewhere with putting off these sales lists. And so now it's time to count up which manga made all the big bucks. But we should probably talk about a little update from a few episodes ago, Lum, if you want to take that away. Indeed. In our previous episode, our news episode from June, we got a nice email from your patron, Arzing Eric, who was asking for help looking for a manga that they'd seen a page of on Twitter just randomly, but, you know, didn't save and just wanted help identifying. They described it as, you know, the protagonist was like a young girl with long hair. They seemed to be in a library of some kind. It had like really kind of bubbly, dreamlike art. And so we couldn't identify it at the time. So that we kind of had on that episode, put out a call to action to see if people could find it. But funny enough, just as Colton was writing the post to post that episode, Eric emailed us. He reached out to us to let us know that he had found the manga. It is called Umi Sorakase Nihana. Hasn't been translated into English yet, but it looks really good. It doesn't quite fit the, the drawing description necessarily. I mean, it kind of does. I think Eric got a good kind of approximation of, like, how the little girl looked. The fact that there was, like, an elderly like man also looking at a bookshelf. But yeah, it looks, like, really cute. And the style looks really, really great. So, I'm interested in learning more about this style and seeing it potentially get localized over here. And yeah, in terms of, like, artistic reference, this is a cool style to kind of see if you can emulate and learn from. So, good selection on Eric's part, searching up like art references that they want to kind of learn how to draw like or get inspiration from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really love the way this looks uh, just from the few preview pages that he sent us. And uh, yeah, if this got picked up, I would totally check it out. It's a relatively recent manga from Young King R. Started serialization in spring of 2020. And the covers look, you know, the art in the manga looks very stylish, but the colors also look super stylish and really, really beautiful. So, man, it's an intriguing series just on the art alone. So, absolutely. I would love to check more of this out. Mm-hmm. 
Um, once again, big thanks to Eric for trying to reach out to us and asking for our help. I, I apologize we couldn't actually help you find the answer, but I'm, I'm glad you were able to find what manga you were looking for anyway. Yeah, I'm putting it on our radar. So very cool. Uh, and once again, if you want to send us an email like Eric did, you can always send us an email at mangamavericks at gmail.com. Send us an email and we'll read it on the show. We love getting emails from you guys. Absolutely. It's a lot of fun to get emails, to answer questions, to get feedback, and we really appreciate it. It's really fun to have just some interactivity with you guys. So absolutely, if you have any questions for us or any challenges for us, any help you need from us, definitely send us an email. Let us know. Mm -hmm. All right, but we should finally get to some of our list news. But actually, before we even get to some of that, we got some interesting numbers uh, reported on by Variety, actually, in terms of uh, how many copies of what series are available in print in the U.S. So uh, this actually comes from, like I said, a Variety article, I guess, that came out about Viz launching their 20th anniversary edition of Bleach, of the first volume of Bleach, uh, coming out in August. Uh, So... Just to start off with Bleach, apparently, according to Variety, I'm assuming these numbers are provided by Viz, obviously, Bleach has 2.7 million copies in print in the U.S. alone, while My Hero Academia has over 10 million copies in print, with the first volume having exceeded 1.2 million copies in the United States. And that is copies in print, not copies sold, but still, that's that's a lot of My Hero Academia in particular. No, and especially when you compare it with the Bleach number, that's four times as much. So think about Bleach as a series that has been available in North America for nearly 20 years now. Yeah. While MHA is a series, you know, just eight years old and available in North America for about seven years. So it's like, comparison, like Bleach is been in publication U.S. like twice as long, and yet it has one fourteen number of copies in print as MHA. It really shows just how big a title MHA is, that it's in such wide circulation as a series for being like such a relatively young series compared to a series like Mage. I think it also shows like just how much better manga has been doing in the U.S. even compared to back then. Even back then, we still thought, you know, manga was doing good back then. But now, like, there's there's almost no comparison. Yeah, I mean, as we'll get into with our lists, like, manga is big business, a huge part of the publishing industry in North America now, and especially the comics section of the publishing industry. Like, Viz is a titan with their short jump titles, and MHA is, like, one of the trailblazing biggest hit titles in that regard, just compared to any comic being sold in North America right now. For sure. Um, Just one thing I really want to put out there, because I was really curious about this, because I really wanted to know how this compared to uh, Naruto's print run over here in North America. And I couldn't find any like specific numbers as far as like copies in print specifically, because obviously we know that if you look at the back of certain volumes of uh, Naruto back in the day, they were very adamant about letting you know that Naruto has sold at least like 4 million copies uh, in North America back in the day, which I'm sure is like increased since then. Um, The best number I could find was from an article on Nippon.com, which stated that apparently in North America, Naruto, uh, the manga has 12 million copies in print in the US, which that was the best I could find. So I don't know how true that is. And when was this article published? How many years ago? Uh, good question. Let me see real quick. Uh, this was published on December 26, 2014. Okay, so that's about eight years ago now. So I wonder how many more copies Naruto has sold since then and how close MHA is to creeping up on that number because MHA is at 10 million right now in print. So it's like, hmm, yeah, I mean, that's that's creeping up there. 
I guess let's evaluate like Naruto in publication, have been in publication like 12 years in North America, 11 years in North America in 2014. So in 11 years, it had done 12 million. And MHA in seven years has done 10 million. So in terms of like pace of print success, uh, number of copies in circulation that quickly, uh, that's pretty uh, promising. I think that shows MHA is showing a big growth compared to a lot of older titles even. Like as big a hit as Naruto was. It's also a thing to keep in mind with Naruto is that at that point in 2014, there's like 60 plus volumes available in North America. In comparison, MHA, we're just about reaching 30. So again, divide that by how many copies are in circulation. Uh, it's, it's selling a lot of books comparatively to even like bigger hits of the past. So yeah, MJ, again, big monster success. I was going to say, like, My Hero Academia really is the closest thing to like a Naruto level success that they had over here since Naruto. Yeah. And I, these numbers, you know, if I'm, we're doing the macro really, it, it seems like it's, if it's not already surpassing it at the relative point in publication to Naruto's, then it is on its way to. Mm-hmm, for sure. Um, I just thought that was, that would be interesting to bring up because, you know, I honestly thought Bleach would have had more copies in print because I, yeah. I know Bleach is like, I, I, I would still say Bleach is pretty popular over here. Right. I mean, if we're comparing to the Naruto number, then that means Bleach has like a sixth as many copies in print compared to Naruto, which is like, wow. You know, we consider these like the big series in terms of popularity in North America, you know, big street and whatnot, uh, this antiquated ways to think about the old shonen hits. But it's like, yeah, I mean, even comparing within that group, Naruto is on another level to Bleach. And it makes me wonder about, well, where does Dragon Ball stand compared to Naruto? Whereas One Piece can stand in comparison to these. So yeah, quite interesting. I would especially know where uh, where One Piece stands because as we're going to talk about later, you know, One Piece is 99 volumes in length over here in North America in particular. So I would be really interested to see how many copies it has in print, you know, especially given how many volumes it has compared to every other series we just talked about. For sure. All right, but we are finally going to move on to talking about the last three New York Times graphic books and manga lists, starting with the one from April 2022. And as always, we're going to start from the bottom and go to the top and uh, talk about the manga on the list specifically. At number 11, we have uh, Stories of Water and Flame, the Demon Slayer Gaiden book. We have volume one of Chainsaw Man at number 10, and then volume one of the regular Demon Slayer series at number seven on the list. And then we have volume 30 of My Hero Academia ranking at number three on the list. And I'm pretty sure this was around the point volume 30 of My Hero Academia was released. I think it was a new release at this point, if I remember correctly. Yeah, that sounds about right. Uh, so not too surprised that a new volume of My Hero Academia would do well. And then I guess unless we have anything else to say about this list, we could just move on to the one from May 2022. Again, bottom from the top. Uh, at number 14 on the list, we have Volume 0 of Jujutsu Kaisen. Volume 0 of Jujutsu Kaisen still doing pretty well even after the movie has uh, finished its run in theaters over here in North America. And then we have Spy Family Volume 1 at number 7 on the list, along with Volume 7 of Spy Family at number 5 on the list. Volume 15 of Jujutsu Kaisen at number three on the list. And then last but not least, we have volume 10 of Chainsaw Man ranking at number two on the list. Uh, Spy Family, as we're also going to be talking about, even in the months before the anime, is uh, really starting to ramp up in sales, which I think is pretty cool. 
And then last but not least, uh, let's go to the June list, uh, the latest list from the New York Times. Uh, starting at the bottom, we have Solo Leveling, Volume 4 at number 15. Solo Leveling, still doing very, very well. Still need to really get on it. I'm interested in seeing how Solo Leveling continues to grow in popularity in particular. And then we have uh, Death Note Short Stories at number 12 on the list, which I guess I shouldn't be too surprised that anything Death Note related is uh, doing well. It's, it's technically new content. So, yeah, I mean, it is new to print content, those stories. So, yeah, I mean, Death Note is like such an evergreen title. We see that the first volume of the Omnibus keeps creeping back into the book scan every now and again, because it's just a title that people are always discovering and always reading. So a new Death Note story, like, yeah, it makes sense that the book does very, very well. There's still some sustained interest in that series 20 years later. It's uh, it's really remarkable, honestly. Uh, jumping from there all the way up to number four on the list, we have Volume 1 of Spy Family. Uh, and then that's really about it for the manga on that list in particular. I don't know. Is there anything else we want to say about the New York Times list in particular? Um, it is really just kind of interesting to, like, track the uh, different sales of series over, like, a three-month period. Yeah, I think that it is fairly straightforward in terms of what titles show up. I think it is particularly interesting in the June list, you know, that we see solo leveling come in here at the bottom, that we see, you know, Spy Family come in with the anime picking up. We see the Death Note short stories collection showing that, hey, yeah, Death Note still evergreen popular title and franchise. A new book of it is going to do really, really well. So it's interesting to just yeah notice these trends just kind of all in a group going through these lists like a three-month period of time just all at once all right but now with all the new york times lists out of the way uh let's get to the even beefier list with the book scan list the past three book scan lists that we've uh once again haven't had the chance to cover uh we're going to start off with the one from march 2022 and right at number one on the list is my hero academia volume 30 once again the newest volume of my hero academia that came out at the time so no surprise it would be at the top of the list uh the only other volume of my hero academia on this list is volume one at number six so i think something we will see with my hero academia uh, with the other two lists. The past sales recently is that, once again, a lot of people getting into the series, volume one still selling like hotcakes, and everybody coming out of the woodwork to always buy the new volume of My Hero Academia. So I think that's just the pattern we're going to be seeing for a while, as long as it has as much uh, competition as it does. Gone are the days where at least like four to eight volumes of My Hero Academia would be like on the book scan list at the same time. Like, I, I genuinely wonder if we'll ever see that happen again. Yeah, I mean, it was also a combination of the publication schedule, you know, the releases between volumes were a lot shorter, and also it was like in kind of the peak heyday of like MHA's popularity, I think it has waned a little bit, obviously, you know, it's still incredibly popular, we just talked about how <laughs> many copies are in circulation, how much it sells, and then on this list, the newest volume is number one, so it's like a big series, but you know, there are kind of like the new hotness, you know, right now in terms of titles, you know, it's, it's all about Chainsaw Man, and did you Jutsu Kaisen and Demon Slayer still has, uh, you know, much lingering popularity. Spy Family was already big, but it's getting even bigger now thanks to the anime and stuff like that. So it makes sense, you know, there's a lot of other titles that are attracting people's interests other than MHA, but MHA has still very much captured the imaginations and the wallets of so many comic readers in North America. No, for sure. Speaking of the new hotness, or at least one of the new hotnesses, I guess. Uh, we're going to go to uh, Demon Slayer with Volume 1, ranking at number 2 on the list, along with the Water and Flame story collection 
at number three on the list, Volume 2 of the original series ranking at number 8, with Volume 12 ranking at number 13, and Volume 3 ranking at number 15. It seems like a lot of people are still getting into Demon Slayer, which is really cool. Yeah, no, even with just how much Demon Slayer has been in kind of the, the public consciousness, you know, outside the anime fans here, thanks to the movie last year, you know, there's still a lot of people hearing about it and discovering it. Yeah, it's very cool to see. And then next up, a, a title that's arguably maybe just, just a little hotter, just a little. We have Chainsaw Man Volume 1 at number 4, with Volume 2 ranking at number 5, Volume 3 ranking at number 10, Volume 4, ranking at number 12, and Volume 9, ranking at number 16. Chainsaw Man, I genuinely think, like with My Hero Academia before, it is going to be a while before we stop seeing multiple volumes of Chainsaw Man on the list at the same time. Yeah, that's uh, a lot of Chainsaw Mans, like, just roaring away in terms of sales, but uh, they're really cutting down the competition. But, uh, I mean, Chainsaw Man, you know, we've said it before, but this is a remarkable series in terms of its notoriety just purely as a comic, even before the anime coming out. Like, it is still, like, one of the big titles everyone talks about that just has, through pure word of mouth, become something that has just captured anime, manga, fandom speed. You know, long before any anime adaptation. So that's quite remarkable. And it just shows just, yeah, how just popular just on the strength of it as a comic is. And that's really just insanely impressive. Mm hmm. All right. And then next up on the list, we have Toilet Bound Hanako-kun Volume Zero at number seven on the list. And uh, I believe that when this particular book scan list came out, that uh, Volume Zero was a new release. So I'm not too surprised that it that it's up so high on the list. Yeah, Anakukun is, you know, consistently very popular. It's like, yeah, best is best-selling title now, it seems like. So yeah, I mean, any new volume is going to be like a huge seller. Even though Volume Zero is like a prototype of Anakukun, it's not like, you know, unlike Jujutsu Kaisen Zero, it's not like in continuity with the series. It's like the original version of the series that was retooled into the, the main series, but like doesn't connect. But it's still very interesting read, interesting to parse through the differences between them. Mm-hmm, for sure. You know, at first I was kind of surprised there weren't any other volumes on the list, but also like there's tons of Demon Slayer and Chainsaw Man that's probably taking up a lot of room. <laughs> yeah. You know, another reason Demon Slayer is probably so prominent on this month's list for the March list because, you know, this latest season had just ended. So, you know, probably a lot of more buzz hype going around Demon Slayer in the wake of that and the afterglow of that, that probably incurred some sales of Demon Slayer uh, during this time period, especially. Mm, yeah, okay, makes sense. And then just to continue on with this list, uh, we have volume one of the deluxe version of Berserk at number 11 on the list, along with volume 10, ranking at number 20 on the list. Volume 10, I believe, was like the newest volume that came out around this month. So again, makes sense why it would be on the list. For sure. And yeah, of course, Berserk is Dark Horse's strongest selling title. So, you know, good to see also consistently sell. We have volume one of Jujutsu Kaisen ranking at number 14, along with volume two ranking at number 18. And then, yeah, I mean, Jujutsu Kaisen, once again, I think there would be more volumes of Jujutsu Kaisen on this I'm list. I'm actually surprised it... there weren't more because the movie came out here in March. So I'm surprised, like, Volume Zero is not on this list. But, I mean, maybe there are a lot of people who are buying that after the Japanese release, hearing news of that, and then reading that to prepare for the North American release of the film. But it's actually interesting because, you know, you'd think there'd be big hype for JJK in that month with the movie coming out in the same way it was for Demon Slayer but you know I think 
I guess the movie came out later in the month, so we didn't quite see that. And that's probably why we see more of that kind of surgence uh, for Volume Zero in particular when we get to the April list. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, just sm- small small spoiler, but I did check the other list just to see like how many other volumes of Jujutsu Kaisen were on the other list. And not a lot of Jujutsu Kaisen on the other two lists after this, which is really interesting. Yeah. And I guess it really does show that it's all about that Demon Slayer and Chainsaw Man right now. Yep, those are the two biggest series right now, it seems. Well, until we get to May, and then <laughs> until it's we all get about to May. family time. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, we'll get to that when we get to that. But for now, in the month of March, only Volume 1 of Spy Family was on the list at number 17 on the list. So uh, all the, all the days before... come is, <laughs> you know... Just uh, the calm before the spy family storm, spy family uh, fever took the nation and everyone became like just uh, transfixed on this charming beloved family. Ah, uh, yes. The, the days before spy family was a twinkle in most people's eye. <laughs> Oh boy. Um, but just to finish off the list real quick, we do have volume one of Kaiju number eight at number 19 on the list. Kaiju number eight, uh, we'll get to it, but I think we're going to see that more on the book scan list as new volumes come out. Yeah, another one I think is just going to get bigger and bigger with time. Especially since, uh, you know, there are rumors of the new, of an anime announcement. So, you know, we can uh, expect big things from Kaiju number eight, I think. For sure, for sure. Um, But why don't we move on to the April list real quick? And once again, starting at the top, we have Volume 10 of Chainsaw Man ranking at number one on the list, along with Volume 2 ranking at number 14, and Volume 1 ranking at number 15. So not as much Chainsaw Man on the list, but it still has a pretty decent showing. Yeah, for sure. And that's probably because I... You know, I guess Spy Family here actually did start in April, you know, as soon as, like, it, it, it start, the anime started, because uh, I also noticed, actually, yeah, Spy Family is the most represented series on this list. <laughs> but yeah, so that to, that took some space, some change, some man, you know. Uh, Denji, he, Malcolm, they have no match for your and Twilight, and Anya. They're no match for the most powerful family in anime. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> Oh, man. But I I guess since we're already talking about Spy Family, we might as well just mention, yes, so Volume 7 ranks at number 3 on the list, along with Volume 1 ranking at number 4, Volume 2 ranking at number 7, Volume 3 ranking at number 12, Volume 4 ranking at number 16, and Volume 6 ranking at number 16. And I believe it's on this list that they mentioned how Volume 5 might not be ranked on this list in particular because it might be out of print, or at least it was out of print at this point point i don't know if it's back in print already so you saw that anime bump it's just immediate then with all in print volumes like immediately being one of some of the top 20 best-selling manga comics adult graphic novels for the <laughs> month so yeah no we knew spy family would just explode even further in popular when the anime came out but uh see the results be just immediate you know it is still pretty incredible Oh, seriously, it's remarkable. Um, But just to kind of go back in order here, we have Jujutsu Kaisen Volume 15, ranking at number two on the list, along with Volume Zero, ranking at number five. And I believe Volume 15 was the newest volume at this point. Jujutsu Kaisen, once again, uh, if it weren't for all these other titles on the list, I think we would see more volumes of this series in particular in the top 20. But that just goes to show how much more in-demand Chainsaw Man and Spy Family in particular are right now. For sure. 
And yeah, again, we did see a bump for Zero this month uh, in the aftermath of the movie Commander in America. So yeah, I mean, you know, both of Jujutsu, even though there are only two volumes, both of them are in the top five. So still, Jujutsu Kaisen's strong seller. It's just that in terms of the population of uh, different titles, you know, a lot more people getting into Spy Family, buying a lot more books from Spy Family because like they just discovered and it's like, oh, I gotta read everything I can of this. Yeah. Um, and then we just mentioned this earlier, but Kaiju number eight, volume two ranks on the list at number six. So very high placement for Kaiju number eight, which I'm really glad to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, again, Kaiju number eight already just a big hit. And I think it'll just get even bigger. I can't wait for when that Kaiju number eight anime eventually comes out or is, I guess, eventually announced, I should say. And we're, we're just going to see multiple volumes of Kaiju number eight on this list at some point. Mark my words. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> we will see at least eight. Gonna call it now. I think that'll be pretty great. That would be pretty funny. Um, next up, we have Demon Slayer, uh, starting with the Water and Flame short story collection at number eight on the list, with uh, volume one of the original series at number 10 on the list, and volume four ranking at number 20 on the list. So not as many volumes of Demon Slayer, uh, but still, still does very well. And then once again, we have Berserk, uh, the Deluxe Edition, Volume 1, ranking at number 9 on the list, which uh, is, uh, again, in the top 10, that's that's pretty good. Next up, we have My Hero Academia, Volume 30, at number 11 on the list, with Volume 1, ranking at number 13. Once again, a lot of people still getting into My Hero Academia, and a lot of older fans still keeping up with new releases. You'd love to see it. And then, last but not least, we have Toilet Bound Hanako-kun, Volume 13, ranking at number 18 on the list, with Volume 9, ranking at number 19. Um, and I'm assuming Volume 13 is probably the newest volume. Mm-hmm. And then... Yeah. Once again, as we're going to talk about with this next list, Spy Family still is, is still dominating uh, because as we as we get into the May list, uh, Spy Move Family over, Volume One. Orb. It's <laughs> your time now. Yes, Volume One ranks at number one on the list, which is you know not surprising, but still really nice to see. And then after that, we have Volume Seven ranking at number four. Volume Two. Ranking at number two, serendipitously there. Uh, volume four, ranking at number seven. Volume six, ranking at number eight. And volume five, ranking at number 13. So volume five seems to be back in print at this point. Um, Spy Family, easily the most represented series on this list out of anything. For sure. Oh, man. It, it's it's the only series on here with more than two single volumes on this list. It has all of its run in print North America so far on the top 20 here, so... <laughs> And yeah, that takes up a third of these spots. So again, it shows the phenomenal success. Spy Family, you just cannot get away from right now. And I, I kind of love it. For sure. And then uh, next up, we have the Death Note short story collection at number two. Man, the but Spy Family, the only thing that can compete with Death Note. <laughs> uh, at least at this point. And then next up, we have Volume 4 of Solo Leveling, ranking at number 3 on the list. Uh, Once again, Solo Leveling, probably one of the most popular, like, Korean comics being sold right now, easily. Uh, And then we have Volume 1 of the Deluxe Edition of Berserk, ranking at number 6 on the list, even higher than its uh, last placement on the last list, which is really cool. Um, And then we get to the one volume of Chainsaw Man on this list, with Volume 10 ranking at number 9, and then the one volume of Jujutsu Kaisen with Volume 0, ranking at number 10. And Spy Family just, like, utterly assassinated <laughs> the Chainsaw Man and his Kaisen. Uh, devils and sorcerers are just no match for well-trained assassins and spies and mind readers. 
Next up, we have Toilet Bound Hanaka-kun, Volume 1, ranking at number 11, and Volume 13, ranking at number 19. So, Toilet Bound Hanaka-kun, still kind of in, like, the middle-ish sort of end, either the middle or the end-ish of the list, but still does very well. Yeah, it's not Yen's bestseller this month, thanks to solo leveling, but it's still, like, one of the top stars that's more represented. It's also, again, just consistently, like, a title that can sell as well competitively with, like, the big Shonen Jump stuff we see all the time on this list. For sure. Uh, next up is a series that we usually see when there's a new volume of it out with One Piece, Volume 99. Um, I'd be really interested in seeing, uh, how Volume 100 does. Volume 100, I would be so sad if it doesn't rank on the top 20. Like, it's uh, just on the sheer fact that it's Volume 100, the first manga in North America to publish its 100th volume. Because Viz is still 20 volumes behind on Conan, but it's, uh, you know... (laughs) That's a big deal. That's a big deal. It is the manga series with the most volumes in North America. So, you know, just on that uh, novelty alone, you would hope to see some sales. For sure. And then uh, next up is a pretty big surprise that I wasn't expecting with My Dress Up Darling Volume 5, ranking at number 14. And I believe this is the first time the series has been on the list. This is also the first time any Screw Enix title has made the book scan top 20 since they started as a publisher. So this is a huge, remarkable success for them. For Dress Up Dialing to, I mean, this shows just like how popular the series is for them in terms of sales. But, you know, I'm sure, you know, the anime's big success has really helped it along. But yeah, I mean, now this is really doing well that it's selling competitively. But again, these big Shonen Jump mainstays we see on the list every month. So that's really cool for it. I hope to see that it stick us around. And again, it's a nice breath of fresh air to have like a romance series, a series that isn't about like fighting and whatnot in the top 20 here you know that's also quite a rarity so i I really appreciate that Mm -hmm. Uh, next up we have volume one of my hero academia ranking at number 15 once again with volume 30 ranking at number 17 not much new to add there same old same old and then we have demon slayer water and flame at number 16 along with volume one of the original series at number 20. And then last but not least, another new addition to the list, which I'm surprised we don't see more often, is uh, volume one of Sailor Moon, the latest edition of that, at number 18 on the list. Now, Lum, you would probably know better than I would. What is the difference between this edition of Sailor Moon and, like, I guess the previous ones that Kodansha has released? Because I think this is, like, a completely new edition they're selling, right? It is a new edition. Compared to the Eternal Edition, which was the previous edition that was released, these are soft covers, and once again, they have redone the translation. Again? <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. Like, every time Sailor Moon has been reissued, they have redone uh, the translation uh, for some uh, reason they just Hmm. never seem satisfied with it but yeah i mean this the idea is that oh this is like kind of the the quality of the eternal edition but it's more affordable because it's soft cover instead of hard cover that's interesting and perhaps that helps sales along with this but yeah because you know sailor moon isn't like a new title necessarily we don't necessarily see the volumes that rank in the top 20 i imagine that it's still generally much like you know death note a evergreen seller that's always doing well but yeah it's nice to see that there is a was a lot of interest in this edition in particular and that has led to it being in the book scan for the first time that i can remember ever seeing it so yeah that's very cool to see Mm -hmm. 
man, all I can think is when we eventually get around to like talking about Sailor Moon, I'm gonna have to do a lot of research or at least ask around and see like which edition should I read. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, depending on who you ask, there's no one satisfying answer. Ah, God. It's like the manga equivalent of, like, Funimation's Dragon Ball releases. Yeah, but, I mean, at least with Funimation's Dragon Ball releases, after a certain point, it's not like you're getting, like, a completely new translation also every time. So it's, it's no, but interesting. You're, but, but you get completely a different video quality sometimes, yeah. <laughs> which is great. I love it. Uh, mm -hmm. No, actually, I hate it a lot, uh, but enough about that. Uh, so that's really about it for this list and all of our book scan lists. And uh, man, it was, if I could help it, I really hope we don't have to put off these lists anymore. But at the same time, it is really interesting to kind of track the sales over like a three month span and see just like how much can change in three months. Yeah, and what titles like drop off over that course of time, what titles go up on lists, what titles go down, what series start to creep in and really have their heyday. You know, you see a big evolution of like, you see a lot of population of Demon Slayer on the list and that wanes and that's the same for a Chainsaw Man and that like almost immediately wanes in favor of a spy family <laughs> as the months go on. And it's really interesting to see how that trend continues for the rest of the year, what other series kind of come in waves, start doing really well in waves, whatever, like interesting titles like pop up here and there i think that you know this recent list uh i really appreciated because yeah we get some interesting variety here titles that we don't see often here on this list with dress up darling and sailor moon and i hope to see a lot more of that kind of stuff also on these lists going forward too mm -hmm. i'm gonna make a very safe prediction and say that spy family will probably take over the list for at least like the next month or two yeah i mean definitely i think they're going to be a lingering effect for spy family i mean it's like a two core series so you know i think that yeah we're gonna see uh it's gonna be the summer of the spy family and maybe it'll be like the, the fall the winter the next spring and the year it'll be a year of just uh just raking in the sales um but yeah, that was uh, that was quite the ride. One one day, Chainsaw Man and Demon Slayer are the most popular thing in North America, and the next the next day, it's Spy Family. You know, like it's just kind of funny to see how things can change in the span of three months, and it's also funny. What could change in a year? Yes, we're not completely done with the books yet because we are going to finally talk about Comics Beat's annual look at the NPD book scan, the sales of the top 75 selling graphic novels in 2021. This is something that Brian Hibbs has done for over 19 years now, tracked the sales of the top 750 comics every year uh, as reported by the book scan, like all the sales in the direct market in comic shops. And so, yeah, there was an explosive growth in comic sales and circulation last year. From 2020 to 2021, a unit growth uh, grew from about 18.2 million units to 30.6 million units. A growth of nearly 70% and retail value growth uh, grew from $274.3 million to $443.7 million. A growth Jeez. of a little over 60%. So... Huge growth in sales numbers and circulation numbers. According to his, like, if we compare these sales to 2003, that's a 558% growth in the number of copies of books sold from where we are now compared to 18 years ago. So comics are big business. They are selling greater than ever in the 2020s, in these early 2020s that we've entered here. And yeah, so 
I mean, that's, again, the just for the top 750 books. Now, if you want to look at, like, the long tail old comics, that growth from 2020 to 2021 was about, you know, we went from having 44.3 listed titles to 47.6. That uh, amounts in terms of unit growth to 29.2 units in 2020 to 51.8. That's a 77% growth in the number of units moved, the number of comics sold last year. And oh, in terms of re- Retail value of that, that goes from $480.4 million to $826.2. That's not quite double, but that's like a 72% increase, almost exact. So that is an insane growth in sales, insane growth in circulation between 2020 and 2021 for like all the comics like available in the direct market there. So that is just insane. Now, obviously, we talk about manga and how successful manga is on the show, but like, you know, the, the real series that's like dominating comic sales charts in terms of how many units and movies it's like dog man it is the comics of dave filky which good for him i was a long time fan of captain underpants but you know in the top 20 of comics best-selling items last year we do have manga in there we do have attack on titan volume one the 13 highest selling comic direct market with like 169.5 unit sales we have my academia volume one ranking at number 14 with 162.9 units sales. We have Demon Slayer Volume 1 at number 16 with 158.2 unit sales. And then, of course, we got to Chance the Man. It's in this top 20. It's Volume 1 is in the top 20 at number 19 with 150.4 unit sales. So, that is four different manga in the top 24 manga volumes were among the top 20 highest selling comic books of last year out of again when we think about all the listed items in the book scan last year that's like 47 plus thousand comics and those volumes are like among the cream of the crop in terms of sales so that's hugely hugely successful and again as mentioned before it is reported you know not all the books in the top 20 sell more than 150,000 copies which is really incredible oh yeah uh the combined circulation of all those books of all the books in the top 20 is like 6.1 million copies and that's 8.5 of like all of the entirety of the the unit sales there which is again quite a remarkable figure to have those four books be a part of that and yeah you know manga really did just explode like the in terms of you know uh, circulation in terms of sales like attack on titan as a bestseller as the best-selling book of the year had an increase of like 25 percent more copies sold compared to last year that's a big big deal so yeah that's uh really incredible and now we're gonna go into just talking about well that's just individual audience what about like authors how if we were looking at the list in terms of like authors how many books per author have been sold you know we're gonna see a lot of mangaka on the list i don't know if i'll go through all of them because there's a lot of them but let's go from bottom to top here so you know again as mentioned before dave pilkey he's number one he's like kind of the untouchable king of the crop here he's the best-selling author with over 5.2 million copies copies of his book sold. But you know who's at number two? It's Kohei Horikoshi. 1.8, over 1.8 million books sold last year. Incredible. And you know who's not far behind him? Two other mangaka. Gotoge comes in third with 1.5 million copies sold last year. And Hajime Isayama comes in fourth with 1.3 million books sold last year. 
And like going outside the top five there at number six, Giga Akutami got 982,000 copies sold. Man, Akutami was so close to so a million copies sold. Million, right? You know, <laughs> because Akutami at number six, you know, it was so close to, you know, <laughs> the a million barrier. Uh, Especially compared, you know, there's some drop off between Akutami and Sutherland at number seven. But of course, like not too far, Sutherland at number seven is, you know, going back to Mangaka. Fujimoto comes in number eight, 656,000 copies sold. We have Junji Ito, 623,000 copies sold. Aidero, 620,000 copies sold. Uh, Kayu Shirai, 603,000 copies sold. This is a list of Mangaka all in a row here. All right, you've heard about they've 100. 32,000 copies sold. So we issued uh, 496,000 copies sold. And again, we could go on and on this list, but like so many authors sold hundreds of thousands of copies in North America last year. And these includes the like of Hirohiko Araki, One, Kintaro Miura, Akira Toriyama, Tsushi Okopo, Ichiro Oda, Tomohito Oda, that's right. Both Oda's right next to each other. That was pretty funny that Kobe can't communicate Oda. Not too far behind in terms of the number of books they sold in North America last year to One Piece Oda. That's like just a 9,000 book difference between them. That is very funny to see their list names literally side by side on this chart. Uh, and also, okay, just going on. Kishimoto sold a lot last year. Hiramashima, Tagashi, Oba, Akira Hamakawa. Paru Itagaki, Tatsuya Endo. We're going to see their name pop up higher on these terms this year, I think, for sure. And Yuki Tabata, Jose Matsui. I'm really proud of uh, Retro Inagaki in particular. That's really cool to see. Yeah, it's nice that Dr. Stone and, you know, even Agile 21, you know, combine those two together, you know, earns them like a spot in terms of like, hey, they sold more than 100,000 books last year. But yeah, it's very, very cool. Uh, Hidenori Kusaka's Makoto Yukimura, Yana Toboso, Neki Haruba, Natsuki Takia, uh, Yoshitoki Oima, Kosuke Ono, Aramoi Arakawa, Hideki Furashi, Reiji Miyama, uh, Naoko Takeuchi, uh, Fuz, I think is a mangaka, a reacher, yeah, Inagaki is here, and then Natsuki Kizu, Ukyo Kadachi, Shuzo Oshimi, Hugh Hayashida, Adachi Toka, Yuji Kaku. There we go. Yeah, Hell's Paradise. Again, brief seller, which is a probably no surprise why a certain licensing announcement is made later. Uh, oh, yeah. The books. Uh, Nakaba Suzuki, Inio Asano, Uosaki Saka, Takiko Inoue, Kintetsu Yamada, uh, Sankichi Hinodea, and rounding out the list is Ibasa Yamaguchi. Uh, in terms of Magaka, Japanese creators on the list. And yeah, there are 95 people on this list and they represent 64% of all sales in 2021. All these authors, you know, they sold more than 100,000 books last year. Uh, and again, I did not keep track of the exact number of mangaka of that 95 there were, but the, I will say that it's probably at least 30 names I think I just read out to you. So that's uh, quite a lot of authors did really well in the North American comic market last year. But to go back to just overall 2021 manga sales, sales tripled uh, in the top 750. It rose 280% in dollar value from last year. That is a huge, huge growth. We had 495 of the top 750 
comic books last year be manga. That's uh, over half, well, nearly two-thirds of the books are manga. Uh, that's 15.9 in unit sales and $218.3 million in retail value. So yeah, uh, manga, big part of comic sales and the market, takes up a huge percentage of titles that are being moved and the dollars that are coming in. It is quite outstanding. And yeah, there are a lot of specifically popular series that dominate the charts. But as we just went over in that list of authors, there are so many different authors and titles that are just selling really well and doing very well, uh, cumulatively. And in those 596 volumes of manga I mentioned, uh, if we were to just talk about them in terms of specific titles, uh, there are 119 distinct properties that are represented in those 196 books. Uh, the best-selling manga was Attack on Titan, and there are 31 different entries for the series when those 496 books between the main series and the spin-offs, you know, before the fall and the regrets. And, you know, that's pretty remarkable because that means like more than 6% of manga bestsellers I see over a volume of Attack on Titan. And and that's also true for MHA, which actually has even more titles, placing in the top 750 with 39 entries, which is basically all of Vigilantes and original MHA. And probably Smash. Maybe Smash 2, maybe Team Up Missions is counted in there. And number three, you know, Demon Slayer had a pretty much all its volumes in the top 750. Chains Metal had all its volumes. Hanako Khan had all its volumes. And those series uh, I just read in a row are the top five best-selling titles last year. Attack on Titan, My Hero Academia, number two, Demon Slayer, number three, Chainsaw Man, number four, and Hanako Khan, number five, which is, again, pretty incredible. We have kind of our big Shonen Jump hits kind of sandwiched between the number one and five there. Like Hanako Khan, that really, again, shows Hanako sells very competitively compared to other, <laughs> compared to Shonen Jump series. So that's a huge deal for Yen and Kadansha, you know, still right in ways of success for the Tekken Titan 10 years out. And that's pretty great. And of course, you know, other books in the top 20 and also probably the next two kind of best-selling franchises for manga are Jujutsu Kaisen and Death Note. So for looking at long tail sales, manga had 13,000 listed items in 2021 compared to 12.4 in 2020. And uh, that isn't a big percent change in terms of number of items, just a 4.6%. But in terms of units move, now that's another story because we went from 10.7 units move in 2020 to 27.7 units move. That's a growth of 157.4%. And in terms of dollar value, that's nearly $400 million. Uh, in 2020, it was $161.6 million. 2021, $396.2 million. That's a growth of 145% in sales. That is pretty insane for long tail sales numbers. And, you know, it's a big deal that it's a new record of manga being listed in this book scan with 13k items. And yeah, it's 150 growth range for both units moved and the retail value of those units and those actual sales figures, which is pretty incredible. God, almost 17 million more units than last year. <laughs> and wouldn't you know what? Viz is the dominant player who, who their books comprise over half of those titles. You don't say. Uh, with 57% of all manga sold last year being attributed to them, which is actually down from 2020, uh, which is 68%. But when you look at like the sheer numbers, you know, they're still dominating the market. Uh, they have like more, nearly 60% of all sales in the manga sphere. So yeah, I mean, obviously they are the number one publish 
publisher, which in terms of titles within the top 750, they have 308 of the 495 manga spots. And yeah, they're the easily the dominant player there. And even within the top 750, you know, they charted about 10.8 million books. And that has combined retail value of $134.5 million. So again, staggering year of growth for Viz, they grew 150% in sales uh, from 2020 to 2021. They control the charts. So they, they really are the dominant player in the business. One of the best-selling comics publishers just as a whole in the market right now. And obviously, yeah, as we mentioned before, the best-selling title, MHA. And Volume 1, again, as we mentioned before, sold 163,000 copies. All volumes of the main series are in the top 750. None of the volumes sell under 19,000 copies. Like, the lowest selling volumes are Volumes 13 through 15, interestingly enough. And yes, the spin-off series also rank. Like, Smash had one of its first volume rank uh, with 14,000 copies. Team Up Missions, single volume sold. 44.6 thousand copies so that's that's even (laughs) more triple the growth of the smash volume there and vigilantes had seven of its 11 volumes in the top 750 and volume one was the highest selling of its volumes with 27,000 copies sold and all of the volumes last year combined again were over 2 million copies of mha sold last year which is up from 1.2 million in 2020 so 800,000 copies more sold in 2021 compared to 2020. That is a 75%. No, that's probably a growth more of, yeah, probably about a third. But yeah, no, that's still pretty insane. The more we talk about this, the more I feel like the comparison between this and Naruto sales are, I'm starting to feel like a pretty apt at this point. (laughs) Yeah. And yeah, I mean, there are big gaps in terms of like the circulation numbers from one volume to the next. So like, you know, it is mentioned in terms of this hammock principle, like volume one of MHA, again, 163,000 copies sold, volume 19, only 19,000 copies sold. But that's still like pretty big. Like every title of the main series MHA sold like uh, a lot of copies and none of them sold less than 19K. So pretty big. And the lowest selling vigilantes just sold over $8,000. So, you know, still pretty huge sales for, for that. When you look at other titles. And Demon Slayer is the second most popular Viz title. Two of its volumes were in the top 10 uh, highest selling books for Viz. Volume 1, again, mentioned before, 158,000 copies sold. Volume 2 sold nearly 130,000 copies sold. All 23 volumes, including the box set. The box set sales were 31,000 copies sold last year. All the volumes placed in the top 750. The entire property as a whole sold 1.6 million units, which was up from 557,000 units in 2020, which is like a three times growth, which is pretty insane how many more books they moved in 2021 compared to 2020. That is uh, astonishing growth. Uh, Chainsaw Man is our number three here. All eight volumes of it that were published uh, and available to purchase last year were in the top 750. Combined sales, again, were $623,000. And volume one, it is the most popular volume. It sold 18,000 copies in 2020 so you know that's a huge growth from 2020 to 2021 where we go from 18,000 to 150,000 like gosh darn <laughs> that is like an eight times growth there that is really really incredible oh yeah 
Yeah, Jujutsu Kaisen is the last title that is in Viz's top 10 for individual volumes sold. Like, Volume 1 sold 143,000 copies last year, and all 14 of its volumes were in the top 750 last year for combined sales of 928,000. Very close to selling nearly a million titles. Maybe I'll get to that here in 2022. Uh, another strong series for Viz, of course, include Death Note, Volume 1 of the Black Edition sold 91,000 copies last year. Uzumaki sold 87,000 copies last year, which was up from 62,000 in 2020. And all of Ito's other books published by Viz also sold over 50,000 copies, which is, again, pretty remarkable. Tokyo Ghoul's first volume sold 85,000 copies. Haiku's first volume sold 79,000 copies. Promise Neverland's first volume sold 77,000 copies. Kovacan Community's first volume, 68,000 copies. Hunter Hunter's first volume, 65,000 copies. Spy Family's first volume, 59,000 copies. Way the House Systems first volume, 58,000 copies. Assassination Classroom's first volume, 56,000 copies, and One Punch Man's first volume, 53,000 copies, and Black Clover was also a very popular title. Its first volume comes in just under 50,000 copies, so... Uh, that's a lot of books, uh, that's a lot of titles that this had that sold over 50,000 copies last year. Uh, quite incredible. Like, last year, you know, they were writing, oh, it was really impressive that a lot of books sold over 25,000 copies, but now we're looking at, like, just several books, like a dozen books that have sold over 50,000 for this last year, which is pretty incredible. And hey, you know, it's not just, like, their big, uh, jump stuff for kind of action stuff that's doing well, because, like, also Sublime is doing really well with Given, which, while one of that was the only Sublime book to make the top 750, but it sold uh, almost 35,000 copies, which is really, really nice to see. I'm a bit disappointed that Dick Fight Island hasn't shown up. I kind of thought that would do a bit more. <laughs> yeah, that is surprising that it did not make the top 750. But alas, I'm glad to see that Given is doing well. And yeah, for Vizrote, again... You know, for the long tail, they had uh, over 5,000 books sold in 2021 compared to 4,800 in 2020. Uh, about a 6.7, 3% growth uh, in terms of unit sales. That's a 2.5 multiplier from 6.6 million to 15.8 billion in units sold in 2021. That's uh, nearly 140% growth in number of units they sold this year. Uh, then in retail value, how that translates to retail value is that the retail value is 9 94.7 in 2020, and it's 208.4 in 2021. That is a percent growth of 120,000. Their average units per title is 3,049. Their average sales per title is $40,000.2. So yeah, that is pretty incredible. You know, they just had like, when you think of it relatively, they only added a few more books to their circulation last year, but their sales and their units moved is just like staggering in terms of growth. So they had just an incredibly big year in 2021. But other publishers also did really well in 2021. You know, Kodansha comes in second place. They had 110 titles in the top 750. They had almost 3 million units sold, which, you know, that's a huge growth of like six times compared to 451 units they moved in 2020. That's pretty substantial, pretty big. Uh, and that translates to about 40.6 million in retail value, which they had 6 uh, million up just about in retail in 2020. So again, that's like <laughs> nearly seven times growth in retail sales. So insane. 
And, you know, their growth is actually higher than Viz's comparatively or the category of manga as a whole and other publishers in manga as a whole. So, yeah, it's really, really impressive for Ganja. They, in some ways, you know, even though in terms of like overall domination in the marketplace and like overall sales numbers is dominates, like in terms of like analyzing like each publisher's personal growth, Kodansha actually had a, a relatively even better year for them in terms of their personal growth as a publisher. That's pretty impressive. And again, as mentioned before, Tekken Titan is Kodansha's bestseller. Uh, volume one, again, we mentioned sold a lot of units. It's like nine Attack on Titan books comprises Kodansha's top 10 books sold last year. And all of the series' books from volumes 1 through 12 and 22 through 34 are ranking in the top 750, 13 through 21 don't rank, but they're in like still the hammock. They're still in like, you know, uh, the long tail of their sales. And the first omnibus uh, of Attack on Titan sold 16,000 units. The two of the box sets sold 30,000 and 13k uh, respectively. And the spinoffs also have been selling well. Regret sold both of its own, so 28,000 and 23,000 uh, respectively. While you want to before the fall ranks with 20,000 units sold. And yeah, again, all told, that's 31 lines of AOT in the top 750 selling combined 1.2 million copies. But you know what the other book, the non-Attack and Titan book in Kadansha's top 10 last year was? That's actually the first volume of Wodakoi. Yeah, it's like their number two, huh? That, so that volume sold like 74,000 copies, which, you know, it only sold 13,000 in 2020. So that's like a five times growth. Wodakoi had a big year last year. A lot of people getting into it. That's pretty cool. And other big hits for Kodansha include Fire Force, Volume 1, sold 51,000 copies, up from 20,000 in 2020, which 2.5 times, that's pretty impressive. Windland Saga is doing well for them. I am so glad. Volume 1 sells over 50,000 copies. You know, there was a time when Windland Saga was struggling in sales. Like, we were worried that uh, they'd have to drop it. But now it's really good to see that, hey, you know, Windland Saga is one of their best-selling titles. That is such, it's come such a long way, and I'm so happy for it. That is really cool, yeah. And now going into stuff from the vertical side of it, uh, Don't Trade With Agnostic Koro is the best uh, vertical line title, and Volume 1 of that sold 36,000 last year. Pretty big. You can't stop Nakatoro. No, no, I mean, uh, she just won't stop toying. She won't stop <laughs> teasing us with her big sales. Uh, teasing is Tagaki, you know, that's, that's different. Nakatoro is the one who toys with you. Tagaki ah. is the one who teases you. And yeah, so in terms of the long tail for Kodansha sales, they were up from 1.7 units in 2020 to 1.9, nearly like 2,000 units in 2021. That's about a 13.5% growth. And in terms of total units move, they went from 1.5 million in 2020 to 5.6 million in 2021. That's a 265% growth. That's that's huge. In, in terms of how that translates to retail value, that means they went from 24.5 million in sales in 2020 to 84.2 million, pretty much 84.3 million in 2021, uh, 60 million more dollars more of sales value. And that's a growth of 243.7%. And in terms of average sales, that's 2.8 thousand books move per title for an average uh, sales per title of 42,000.6. So, uh, just really, really good year for Kadansha. Like, Kadansha, like, has one book of theirs selling over 100k, 12 more over 50k, a dozen over 30k, and then 31 more over 20k, and 93 more over selling 10k. That's they are incredibly healthy as a publisher. Uh, they tripled the number of units they sold this year. So in terms of, again, 
comparing relative growth, they're actually growing even faster than it is, which is, you know, really, really impressive for them. Now, the third best publisher in terms of like uh, sales figures in 2021 was Yen. They had 38 titles in the top 750. That had about a combined uh, 1.3 million copies sold, which again, up by over a million copies compared to 2020. They had a million more copies place <laughs> move. They had a million more units move compared to 2020. And that translates to like $19.2 million of retail value, which is up from 3.9 million retail value from the previous year. So like almost five times as much, <laughs> which is pretty impressive. And again, as I mentioned before, Hanako-kun, their big hit, it's like the fifth biggest manga franchise, as mentioned before. Volume 1 is their bestseller, 147k uh, copies sold in 2021, up from 48k the previous year. So 100k more copies sold in 2021 compared to 2020. Just incredible growth for the series. Volume 2 pulled in 83k, Volume 3 pulled in 62k, and then Volume 5 had like 51k, and Volume 6 had 45k. And then, you know, most of Yen's top 10 books last year were Hanako-kun volumes, but other series that, you know, also did very well for them were Soul Leveling. Like, its first volume was their fourth best book last year and sold 62k. Black Butler's first volume was their fifth best book last year that sold 52k. Volume 1 of Horamiya was their seventh best volume and sold 48k. And Volume of Fruits Basket was their ninth best title. That sold 44k. And Bungo Stray Dogs first volume. I assume just the mainline uh, version of that, the manga version of that, that sold 43k. So yeah, that's actually pretty eclectic in terms of different titles uh, among Yen's top 10 best-selling books. So, you know, they have a lot of pretty big titles for them. And in terms of their non-tail sales, uh, they went up from 2010 uh, items in 2020 to 2147 in 2021. That's about a 7% growth in units listed. And in terms of units sold, that goes from about over a million units sold in 2020 to over 3 million sold in 2021. Like a 3 times growth pretty much. That's a percent change of 176, uh, 177 just about in growth. And in terms of retail value, that goes from 51.8 basically in 2020 to 43.7 basically in 2021, which is about like a 176.6% growth. And how that translates in terms of like the averages per title, that means they sold like about 1.4 thousand copies per title that it's listed and uh, that translates to about 20k in sales per title. So yeah, one book over 100k, five titles over 50k, 13 more over 30k, another five over 20k, 20 more of that over 10k. Huge performer. Now we're going to Dark Horse, who Dark Horse is of course also a publisher of all sorts of comics besides manga, but in just their manga side, they are the fourth best manga publisher in 2021. They had 25 titles in the top 750 with combined sales of nearly 600k, they had 596k, but that's a like huge from 206k in 2020. That's like... Again, like nearly street times. And uh, that is about 19 million in retail value. Again, up like a lot from 7.2 million in 2020. Their best title, of course, as mentioned repeatedly, is Berserk. The $50 hardcover editions specifically. The first volume of that is their best-selling book that had 57k units move last year. And that's up from 33k units move 
in 2020, which compared to like the other in crazy growth in sales for some books is not as much, but still, you know, quite impressive that it sold even more in 2021. And of course, a Berserk is their dominant title, right? So volume two sold 38k, volume seven did 32k, volume four and three boats sold around 27k. Volume 8 sold about 26k. And, you know, even though the omnibuses, the hardcovers are like what's like really the big sellers right now, the paperbacks still do well. Uh, in fact, they do really well because the first volume of the paperbacks uh, is their third best selling book last year with 39,000 copies sold. So, Berserk in any form, people are just really excited to buy it. And, you know, their other really popular titles include My Psycho 100, Volume 1, came in at there is their fifth selling book with 32,000 copies sold, like three times growth from the previous year where it only sold 11K. And Don Rompa also does really well for them uh, <laughs> with like the first volume of Don Rompa 2 selling 29K, while the first one of Don Rompa the Animation sold about 26K. You know, another big franchise for them, Don Rompa. And Dark Horse's manga only long tail is, you know, they actually have less units listed in the book scan compared last year, going from 472 books listed to 431. But in terms of units sold, you know, they sold way more. From 430.7k to over a million in 2021, about a 134.3% growth. And in terms of sales value, that translates from about 11.11 million in 2020 to about 27 million in 2021, a 40% 142.6% growth in sales there. And in terms of average per volume, that's a pretty interesting figure to compare. This year, it's 2,342 units with an average of 62.5 thousand per book. And uh, when you compare it to 2020, which was 913 units sold per title with 23.5 thousand in sales per title. Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty big uh, difference. Pretty big increase there. And yeah, so again, to sum up, Dark Course had one book over 50k, four more over 30k, another nine over 20k, 11 more over 10k. So, you know, even though they had less books listed, they still had a lot of growth, which is very impressive for them. Now, our number five publisher is Seven Seas. They had eight titles only in the top 150, but they accounted for 174,000 copies sold combined, and that's pretty big for them from 54k the previous year, and that had a retail by about 3 million. Although no ghost ship titles placed in their top 750 last year. But their biggest title in 2021, as has been for the case for, I guess, a couple of years now, has been I Want to Eat Your Pancreas. And this exploded to nearly 55,000 copies sold in 2021 compared to 11K in 2020. So like a five times <laughs> growth, which is pretty incredible. And then their number two title is the first one of Orange, 33,000 copies sold, which, hey, you know, that's kind of a, you know, kind of catalog title at this point. So good to see that's still doing well. Uh, Ancient Makers' Bride, first volumes, it was their third best-selling book at 16K. Didar came in big last year. It was their first, the first one was their fourth best-selling book last year. Ooh. Just a bit under 16K units moved. Pretty, pretty cool. High-Rise Invasions, first volume sold almost 15K. Orange's second one sold about 13K. And uh, a couple other titles include like Kabashi's Dragon Maid that was like their seventh best book the first one of that and Boom and View Volume 1 was their eighth best book so this was Seven Seas' best year ever last year 
Because, uh, again, the growth is pretty staggering. They went from 1,200 books moved in 2020 to 1,500 in 2021. In terms of the unit sold, that went from about 700,000 to uh, nearly 1.6 million. So, again, over double there. That's a percentage change of uh, 127.47. Uh, in terms of retail value, that's goes from 9.9 million in value in 2020 to 22.9 million in value in 2021, 131% growth. And uh, in terms of averages, uh, that goes from an average sale per title, average uh, units per title from uh, 568 to 1048, and sales from uh, 8,000 to 15.1,000. So they only had one book that sold over 50K, only one that sold over 30K, but they'll, they'll have six more over 10K. So pretty good. And then our last uh, manga publisher we have to talk about is Square Enix. And they don't have a lot in the top 750. They just had six titles together. Commonsively, those sold 112K and that made about 2 million in retail. And their best seller last year was Soul Eater. Oh, yeah. Volume one sold. 32k volume 2 sold 17k volume 3 sold 14k but they're also were very successful with man and his cat with 23k dress up darling with 14k and i think her son is gay with 12k i believe those are the first ones specifically of those books and i would not be surprised to see dress up darling have a explosive growth in sales when we look at the 22 list next year but uh in terms of listed items for their long tail they went from 20 to 50 which is 150 percent of growth and you in terms of units that's like a big growth from 49.2k to 294.5k that's like a nearly 500 percent growth in units moved and uh, that also translates to a huge growth in uh dollar sales from 703k to 4.3 million in sales in uh, 2021 so that's like 510 percent growth so of course in terms of averages that goes from 568 to 5,890 and 8,000 in uh, average sales per title to 85,979. So you can look at those numbers and say like, you know, uh, Square Enix was a pretty new publisher in 2020. You know, they're kind of starting small, but they had a big growth in 2021. Like, explosively big growth alongside other publishers. And uh, I think that, you know, seeing uh, them finally have a book placed on the book scan, uh, you know, the monthly book scan, I would not be surprised if we check back in next year and they have grown uh, even more substantially. So that was a huge check-in for how the big manga publishers are doing. And as you can all see, they are all doing very well. Viz, of course, dominates the market. But if we look at, you know, how each individual publisher is doing in terms of their personal growth, in many ways, we have publishers like Kodansha and Square Enix who are having their best years ever and have, like, shown even more big growth potential than uh, even compared to Viz, which is really, really cool. Now, uh, we'll also just straightly mention that One Piece books, you know, they're not a manga folks publisher as much, but they do publish manga. And interesting kind of title numbers we have for them is that I Hear the Sunspot moved about 14k units for them with the first volume of Limit and the first one of the first, the first volume of the the regular I Hear the Sunspot, so 12k. Uh, volume 3 of Limit also just beat the 10k line by just 13 copies, but still beat it. So... I hear the Sunspot doing very well for One Piece books. And I believe that does it for like other non-manga focused publishers that had interesting uh, manga sales last year. But, you know, 
we got to talk about, well, how do manga publishers rank compared to all other comics publishers in terms of how big they are, how much sales they had? Well, you know, again, manga dominated 2021, Viz Media dominated the market. And I think for the first time ever, Viz Media was the number one comics publisher in North America in 2021. Now, in terms of, like, representation and book score, Scholastic edges them out. But in terms of sales, pure sales, uh, Viz made over 200 million in sales last year. 208.4 million in sales compared to Scholastic at number two's 137.2 million. So huge, huge sales figures for Viz compared to Scholastic, the previous dominator of the industry, of the market. But other comics publishers also do incredibly well. Kadansha is our number three with 84.3 million in sales. We have Yen Press. They come in at number seven, 49.1 million in sales. Penguin uh, Random House. They have like 30 million in sales. Seven Seas is just outside the top 10 with 24.7 million in sales. I skipped over it earlier. But Dark Horse, you know, also came in at number six at 49.2 minutes. And even though they're all, they're not just manga, you know, I'm manga, I'm sure, attributed to quite a bit of that. And Square Enix uh, makes this top 20, coming in at number 17 with 4.3 million in sales. We have Fantagraphics at number 18, 3.6 million in sales. We have Drawn and Quarterly at number 22, 2 million in sales. Titan Comics at number 24, 1.7 million in sales. And we have One Piece Books at number 25, 1.3 million in sales. So again, though, just going back to Viz and Kadansha, just just huge. Both of those publishers sell significantly more uh, in terms of books, in terms of the retail value of those books, than the likes of Boom Studios and DC Comics or Marvel Comics. And that is pretty insane. And yes, that about does it for our coverage of this year's BookScan report and the MPD BookScan yearly top 750 report. And man, man, what a revealing BookScan. Just what, how astounding manga's growth just compared to 2020 and 2021 was. When we covered this list last year, we were talking about, oh my God, manga just is so well, it is growing so much, but this is just even more explosive. Manga, the industry is starting the 2020s like just with a bang in terms of sales growth, in terms of units being moved. Uh, it is really seeing heights that it has not seen in uh, many, many years, if ever. And this is just the start of the 2020s. I am really, really curious to see how these lists, how this growth is going to turn out uh, as we check on it year over year. And we see manga sales perhaps even continue to rise to even greater heights. But this is just quite extraordinary looking at these numbers, looking at what titles are doing well, how these publishers are doing. And it's great to see that a lot of the publishers are doing really well. Even if this dominates the market with their titles, like the individual publishers in terms of their personal growth are doing still really well. They're growing a lot. And that's really, really cool to see. Mm-hmm. It's quite frankly, it's it's overwhelming. <laughs> Oh, uh, but we're not done talking about sales just yet. No, we're yet. turning from... <laughs> 
U.S. comic industry sales to the Japanese manga market sales. That's right. It's time once again to check in with the Oricon list, the highest selling manga for this first half of 2022. Mm-hmm. Yes, and I can go ahead and uh, take over that real quick. So we are going to be talking about Oricon right here. And I'm going to go ahead and start from the bottom, go to the top. At number 10, we have Blue Lock coming in with 1.5 million copies sold. And I'm assuming this is a pre-anime book. Bump. Yeah, the Blue Lock anime has not yet started. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's really picking up. Mm-hmm. I will be interested in seeing when that anime does come out, if it'll do even better and rank even higher on the list by the end of the year. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of hype behind it. I can't, I have to measure the anime is well made as well. I will get a lot of more people into it. So yeah, really, really astonishing. Mm-hmm. I've heard good things about Blue Lock. So I would like to check it out at some point. But something I know that probably got the anime bump for sure is My Dress Up Darling uh, with 1.7 million copies sold. Very cool to see. And yeah, definitely the anime really, really encouraged the, the sales bump. And it'll be interesting to see if it is able to uh, maintain that through the course of the year. But yeah. I mean, the anime, huge darling, huge favorite. So very, very excited to see how it's going to continue to sell throughout the remainder of the year. Mm-hmm. Another series that I know is going to get an anime bump when it does get animated is Kaiju number eight uh, with 1.8 million copies sold. And yeah, I'm just I'm really glad to see Kaiju number eight doing well. Yeah, again, series relatively recent, no anime, although I rumored that it may get one announced one of these days. But yeah, like uh, Kaiju number eight, huge hit for Manga Plus uh, or Jump Plus, huge hit just already. It's just really cool to see. Next up is a series that uh, I'm not admittedly very familiar with, with Do Not Say Mystery, with nearly 2.5 million copies sold. So I can tell you about this. This is Do Not Say Mystery. This is Yumi Tamura's current work. Yumi Tamura is the author of Basara and Seven Seeds. Ah, okay. And this is a series that she's actually been doing since about 2015. This is a series that's been running for a while. But the reason why I think we're seeing it get this big bump is that there was a very popular drama made for Do Not Say Mystery that came out earlier this year. Makes sense. And it's available to watch on uh, Vicky, I believe is the name of the service. You can watch it, and it's uh, but it's a, like a very, very interesting mystery drama series. Very compelling, and this is really nice to see because I mean, obviously, I like Boster a lot. Like, I'm glad to see Yumi Tamura's latest current work doing really well, but also, you know, it's been a while since we've seen a shoujo title rank among uh, the top 10 highest selling titles in these Oricon charts. So, I mean, that drama series Series, I think has really helped propel Do Not Say Mystery and get it more attention, more much well deserved attention. And yeah, that's really translates to some really great sales figures. And hopefully that's the same for the rest of the year. And hopefully some uh, English publishers take notice and license this sooner or later. I know a lot of people and folks in the shoujo sphere who are very uh, annoyed, like they're happy that Do Not Say Mystery had this great bump, but they're also very frustrated that, come on, can a publisher just license this already? And I am definitely in the same boat with them. But yes, no, it's, it's very, very cool to see. And uh, yeah, just nice to see like for once uh, in, the, in the sea of like other shonen stuff that, you know, a Shoujo Jose title is one of the highest selling titles for this first half of the year and hopefully for the entirety of the year. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it looks like it's available on Viki as Don't Call It Mystery for those who are interested in checking it out, uh, which is pretty cool. Next up, we have Demon Slayer coming in at 2.5 million copies sold. So a little lower on the list, but still doing really well despite the manga, you know, having already ended. But, you know, the anime is still going. So, you know, obviously that helps. For sure. I mean, again, this is a series that ended two years ago, and it's still in the top 10 highest selling titles of the the half year, but probably even the full year. It just shows the sustained popularity of this franchise that two years out, it's still moving books. (laughs) Japan can't get enough of it, even now. There's still new readers, there's still new copies of, of it being circulated and sold. Uh, next up, we have My Hero Academia uh, selling uh, 2.8 million copies since the beginning of the year. Still relatively in the same place as it was the last time we checked in on Oricon, but, you know, still doing well. I'm going to be really interested in seeing how My Hero Academia keeps doing after the series ends. Mm-hmm. Uh, next up, uh, we have One Piece coming in with 4.1 million copies sold. You know, it's it's still kind of weird to see One Piece not at number one anymore, but that just shows you how much better some of these other series are doing. Yeah, I mean, it just shows the astonishing popularity of these other series more than anything. Because One Piece obviously is still, you know, it's not the champion anymore, but it's still like, you know, a pretty incredibly popular series. It just shows, again, like how much more monstrous like this new generation of like just really popular titles are and how much they have captured the imagination of readers uh, just relatively. Mm hmm. Uh, Next up, we have Spy Family coming in with 4.8 million copies sold, which, again, I'm not surprised that Spy Family is this high up on the top 10, considering uh, uh, the anime came out within the last six months. So I would be very shocked if Spy Family wasn't in the top five at the year end list. Yeah, I mean, it's already number three. I would be surprised if Spy Family honestly did not make the jump even to like number one or number two. Like, I, I could see it happening for it. I mean, you know, obviously JJK. Tokyo Revengers, you know, still incredibly popular, as we'll get to. But, you know, Spy Family, with the anime currently airing, you know, the anime, look, it's one of the top 10 uh, most watched anime programs in Japan consistently since it started. You know, if you look at the weekly, like, ratings list of, like, the top 10 anime episodes every week in Japan, Spy Family is a ratings juggernaut. You know, it has a huge, huge general audience appeal comparable to main stays like uh, Shin-Shan and Sazai-san and Maruka-chan. So I think, you know, that could even push it over the top. They'll be like, oh yeah, then this is going to be this year's new hotness. For sure. Uh, next up, as we mentioned, uh, we have Tokyo Revengers coming in at 7.2 million copies sold right at number two. You know, even with no anime out right now, it's still doing really well. Yeah. I mean, there is going to be the adaptation of that Christmas arc that is going to come out pretty soon. They announced it. So, you know, we're, more anime is on the way, though. Honestly, like the anime, the first season of the anime uh, was not that well made. It disappointed a lot of fans in the manga. But, you know, it did its job in introducing a lot of people to the series and uh, making it even more popular. So, you know, it's good to see that sustained popularity for it. And I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, would it still in its final arc uh, there'll probably be even more hype from that with this like new anime project for the Christmas Shohan arc I'm sure that'll probably ramp up some uh, enthusiasm for it going into the end of the year so yeah it'll be interesting to see how it shakes up overall 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and then last but not least at number one, we have Jujutsu Kaisen coming in with 9.3 million copies sold. And, uh, you know, I'm just going to make a bold statement. I'm going to make a bold prediction that Jujutsu Kaisen will still be number one by the end of the year. I, I mean, I could still see it happening. Like right now, it still is selling almost double more than Spy Family and Number Streets. You know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Spy Family overtook it. But, uh, you know, I also wouldn't be surprised if Jujutsu Kaisen kept it. Because, again, you know, it's still riding off a huge popularity wave. Uh, the movie only just left Japanese theaters after a very healthy and successful run. Yep. But, uh, you know, it's still, like, incredibly popular. Uh, it's arguably, like, the most popular title in terms of uh, enthusiasm from the Japanese fan base in Jump Right Now. So it's like, yeah, I can so much see that uh, it, it could be still... The number one spot, number one seat by the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really feel like compared to even last, I, I guess, yeah, last year's yearly ranking, like there's only like three, no, four like Shonen Jump titles on here. Obviously, we have Spy Family and Kaiju Number 8. Those are Jump Plus. So I guess you could still count those. But in terms of like actual weekly Shonen Jump, I'd, I'd still say like the representation in terms of like, you know, just how many different titles are on this list is pretty even. I appreciate that, yeah, it's, we're kind of moving out of, like, the Shoeisha and Kadansha space a little bit. Or, no, I mean, we're still kind of in there. But it's like, it's yeah, it's not just Jump anymore with just, like, uh, Kadansha's two big titles of Revengers and Titan. And, uh, I mean, the only titles that have dropped off really from the yearly is, like, Haikyuu and Chains of Mind, which are series that are over anyway yeah but uh it's nice to see some new blood and it is i guess still shueisha and kadansha dominated but like it's a lot of different titles that we're seeing coming in it's not just all action titles yeah it's not just all action i think it's really cool to see dress up darling and do not say mystery in this list in particular as non-action titles uh so yeah i think that's very cool Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I, I'm going to be really interested in seeing what this list is going to look like at the end of the year. I, like I said, I personally still think Jujutsu Kaisen is still going to be number one. But I mean, like you, I I agree. I I would not be surprised if Spy Family overtook number one. There was a non-zero chance of that happening. Yeah, actually, I should point this out. This is a pretty big win for Shaggy. We do not say mystery. So I, I forget how Sakaki reacted to this. But you know, this is. Pretty, pretty big for the Shoggy fans out there <laughs> to have a title. There's finally back in the top 10 uh, in sales. So, yeah. And again, good for Square Enix, too, with Dress Up Ari. No, for sure. But, oh, my God, I think we're finally done with lists. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. And as we expected, lists did make up the meat and potatoes of this episode, but we still do have a lot of other pieces of news to talk about. And I think we'll head into now our serialization news, which we only have a few pieces, so it shouldn't take too long. So we talked about a lot of new and exciting things, but there are things that are ending coming up pretty soon. This includes Noragami. Noragami is entering its final arc, it seems. And yeah, I mean, this is a series that I really enjoyed. I need to catch up on the manga now, but yeah, especially now that it's ending. Like, I, I'm definitely curious about it. I really have not uh, checked in with it past, like, the point where the anime stopped. So yeah, very, very interested to see how it'll wrap up. 
Another thing that is coming to an end that I'm less interested in is Hinoaga Crush. That'll be ending in its eighth volume that'll come out in August 25th. And I read the first couple volumes of this and uh, wasn't a big fan. As I, for some reason why I wasn't a fan of the comedy that got killed in terms of kind of the gratuitous uh, over-violence and uh, sexual violence that's in the series. But, uh, you know, I'm willing to reevaluate if we ever uh, talk about it on the show or whatever. But it'll be coming to an end after running for a good few years now. Uh, in August. So, I don't know what's next for the coming God Killer verse, but maybe there'll be another installment of it after this, or maybe he'll focus on a different project in the meantime, but uh, we'll, we'll see. Now, speaking of spin-off stuff, uh, the Bakuman Gotari manga, you know, which has also been in its final arc uh, for a few years now. We reported on that in, like, 2019. It's still in there. Uh, it's still in its wrapping up phase, I guess. But uh, it is going on hiatus, unfortunately, due to Ogre's health issues. And it'll return on September 7th in the 41st issue of Weekly Shonen Magazine. So, you know, it's good that he's taking some time to take care of his health. Apparently he's had, you know, a lot of eye strain and lower back pain. So, yeah, it's very important. He can just take some time to just rest and recover and then return to working on the manga when he is healthy. And, uh, you know, I know V-Lord in particular is a big fan of Ogre's adaptation. And I've been meaning that you got more of it myself. And I'm definitely curious to see it through the end. But I hope that Ogre is not going to hurt himself trying the manga. You know, we want him to be healthy, you know, live a healthy lifestyle as an artist. So, yeah, good that he's taking a break to focus on health. And tears will always be there for to read when he returns. Uh, speaking of other spinoff stuff, you know, the Saintia show ended last year. Saintia Saintia show, the spinoff manga of the series by Chumaki Kuri that focuses on female saints. It's getting a new side story spinoff manga uh, that's coming out in the July issue of Champion Red. So I don't know how long this side story uh, spinoff is going to be. If it'll be like, uh, you know, a longer term thing or just a couple chapter things. But hopefully it gets, you know, collected in a physical volume. It's at least a volume length work and maybe seven seas can put it out over here i know seven seas i unfortunately i don't i don't think saint show is, has been doing that great for seven seas but at least they've been committed to putting it out uh and so yeah i would still like to see uh whatever the side story will be about and be able to read this volume officially in english in the near future i really do enjoy that series and i'm looking forward to reading it into its end whenever the final ones get published but uh, now we'll talk about some new titles from returning authors. Yeah, I want to talk about this next one really quickly because I'm very interested in it. Uh, so in the July issue of Kodansha's Bizatsu Shonen Magazine, it was revealed that both Jinsei Kataoka and Kazuma Kondo, the creators of Dead Man Wonderland, will be launching a new manga uh, in the August issue of this magazine on July 7th, which, uh, which means basically by the time you're listening to this, it'll be coming out soon or probably already be out depending on when we put this out, and that will be Retropolis Scratch. And yeah, so this Kyoto Youth Tattoo Battle Action Manga centers on Tsukimichi Dori, uh, whose specialty is running away. Uh, instead of entering high school, he runs away to Kyoto, but what awaits him is a great mystery, a mere world where right and left are flipped. In this world, tattoo artists take place in a battle called Bokusenkan. Uh, Tsukimichi must now make use of his escape skills as his best and worst youth is about to begin. So a tattoo battle manga, that's interesting. Uh, I don't think I've ever seen anything like that before unless maybe there's another title like that that exists and i just don't know about it but it sounds like an interesting concept you know i i enjoyed dead man wonderland 
And, uh, you know, I, I need to get on to reading more stuff from Kataoka and Kondo, because I know they did another series with uh, Smoke and Parade that uh, I still haven't gotten to, but uh, I would definitely check this out. Yeah, I have mixed feelings on Deadman Wonderland. I didn't like Smoking Parade very much, but I do find this new concept interesting. It is a little reminiscent of just the vibe of Deadman Wonderland and the fact that, you know, he's kind of trapped in this place he has to escape from and he has to use these like specialized powers in this you know, crazy setting and whatnot. But uh, that's just in also very general terms. But I do like the, the key image for it. I do think that, you know, just the idea of like power that are coming from uh, tattoos uh, or use or tattoo artists like having like a I don't know if they mean like a physical battle or like they are competing in tattooing or something however they're going to take the approach but either way like uh, the combination of like an artistic skill and then like competition is still very very intriguing to me it would be cool if it was like a, I don't know why this is the first thing that came to mind like a, like a shakugeki kind of thing where it's like oh the, they're not actual like combat bat battles or whatever like it's like oh who can like do the best tattoo or something like it'd be interesting it was like an actual like artistic battle challenge kind of thing Uh, but i guess we'll see Hey guys, it's Colton. Uh, I'm just here to uh, interrupt the episode for a few minutes because uh, there was a lot of stuff that we talked about around this portion of the episode here that I figured could use some updates, but I also figured instead of uh, literally having an update after every story for the next couple of minutes, I thought I'd just come in here and just kind of do everything all at once here. So first off, uh, we have a lot of exciting stuff from Tatsuki Fujimoto coming up. The first of those things being a new one-shot from him and another creator, Oto Toda, uh, the author of To Strip the Flesh, will be coming out, uh, I mean, I I guess by the time you're listening to this episode, it's probably already going to be out, but it is going to be available on Shonen Jump and probably Manga Plus. Uh, That one-shot is entitled Just Listen to the Song. Um, So this one's going to be interesting because uh, Fujimoto is providing the art for this story, but Toda is going to be the one writing it. So that's that's a really interesting combo there. Again, by the time you're listening to this, it's probably already out and available. And I'm sure that once we find time, we'll talk about it on the show and give our thoughts. But something else I'm just a bit more excited about is that it has been confirmed that part two of Chainsaw Man is going to be premiering on July 12th. That is right. It seems like it's going to be on Manga Plus and assumedly Shonen Jump. My only thing is that the official English Shonen Jump Twitter account did tweet out about how part two was coming. And so, of course, they use that as an opportunity to promote uh, where you can read all of part one of Chainsaw Man. So... I'm assuming it is going to be available through both Viz's Shonen Jump app and on Manga Plus. Uh, I'm really hoping, uh, and we'll get into all this stuff in a second because we have some Manga Plus stuff we have to talk about, but I'm really hoping that Viz is still going to be uh, simul-pupping Chainsaw Man, and I really hope it's not just going to be exclusively on Manga Plus. That would kind of bum me out considering the uh, uh, the inconsistent quality of a lot of their um, of their simul-pubs, but I guess we'll see. Um, but despite that, I'm still really excited for part two of Chainsaw Man, and I'm really, really excited that we finally actually have a release date for that, because it really felt like Fujimoto was really, really busy with a lot of his own, like, other, like, original stuff. Um, And, you know, I would have been fine if we kept getting more one-shots from him, and, you know, I would have waited for part two as long as it took, but I am glad that it's finally coming and we finally have a date, and I really can't wait to uh, read more Chainsaw Man. And, you know what, more stuff from Fujimoto, even if it's not Chainsaw Man, um, I always welcome, and, uh, uh, yeah, Fujimoto stuff is always good, Chainsaw Man or not. Um, so we have 
those to look forward to. I did mention Manga Plus just a bit ago, and I guess I might as well mention, because originally on the podcast at the time we recorded this, uh, Manga Plus had put up a new simulpub entitled You and I Are Polar Opposites from Kocha Agasawa, which, uh, you know, seems like a pretty cute sort of like rom-com kind of series. Um, But since we recorded this episode, uh, we have two new titles on Manga Plus uh, with Make the Exorcist Fall in Love from... Aruma Arima and Masuku Fukuyama, as well as Stage S from Tomoya Harikawa, uh, both of which seem to be really, really interesting, especially Stage S. Uh, for, for those of you who've seen the key art for Stage S, it's um, it's very interesting. It's probably going to be a very dark series. Um, but yes, a lot of new stuff coming to Manga Plus, and uh, I'm, I'm sure we're definitely going to find the time to uh, check these out and talk about them the next time we get a chance to talk about Simulpubs. And in the future, it seems like we're going to be getting a lot more Simulpubs from Manga Plus because uh, it was revealed recently at the Jump No Mirai 2022 online talk event uh, that Manga Plus will be launching English Simulpubs pubs of basically every new series from Shonen Jump Plus from 2023 onward. So that's some pretty big news. And I won't lie, when I heard this news, I immediately had very mixed feelings because uh, as you just heard me mention just a couple seconds ago, you know, Manga Plus isn't always known for its consistent localization quality, let's say. Some series are okay and some others really feel like they get kind of tossed by the wayside in terms of uh, how much work goes into the localization and translation lettering, all that kind of stuff, because... Shueisha would rather hire cheaper companies to do all their stuff instead of offering higher pay for really good translators and letterers to do their stuff. But that that, that seems to be the thing with a lot of uh, different manga subscription services these days. Again, we've talked about a lot of this before. But yeah, on one hand, I'm very happy to see more titles from Jump Plus getting picked up because, again, as we have talked about time and time again, with stuff like Spy Family, Kaiju Number 8, and so on and so forth, you know, Jump Plus seems to be where I feel like a lot of the more interesting Jump titles are. I mean, you know, we still love Weekly Shonen Jump, but, you know, a a lot of stuff on Weekly Shonen Jump can feel kind of samey most of the time, and Jump Plus really feels like the more experimental kind of playground where uh, new, actually really interesting series have a better chance of thriving and, uh, you know, really succeeding. Um, so I'm, I'm really happy to get more Show to Jump Plus manga. I won't say no to more titles from there in particular, but at the same time, the fact that they are aiming to basically publish literally every new title at some point uh, makes me kind of worried in terms of like, I guess, how much thinner the talent on there that they commissioned for some of these series is going to be spread. I mean, look, let's be honest, Shueisha doesn't seem like they're willing to pay a livable wage for, you know, their staff to be working on some of these series. Again, they hire a lot of really cheap companies just to kind of like churn this stuff out. And yeah, sometimes, unfortunately, it really shows. Again, as I've talked about in the podcast, uh, the way the localization was handled for um, Excuse Me Dentist in particular was kind of the big reason I dropped it. And, you know, I I feel bad because that series was otherwise a really fun one. And, you know, I would have liked to see where it went. But for something that comedic, I feel like the localization really needs to be like on top of things. And I just really felt like it wasn't. And that was a big reason why I dropped that series. And yeah, I'm I'm a bit worried about what the overall quality of these simulpubs are going to be if Manga Plus is going to be handling them, I guess, kind of in-house. Not in-house, but if they're going to keep using the same cheap avenues that they are at this moment as far as their localization and lettering and 
just overall quality of their simul pubs. I'm I'm really trying to hold back my excitement a little bit because uh, I am genuinely worried about like what the quality of these series are going to look like in the future if they are planning on picking up everything like they say they are. I guess it's also worth mentioning, um, again, I, I apologize if this isn't available by the time this episode is out, but it is also worth mentioning that Manga Plus has recently started up their own survey uh, basically asking for feedback from its users on, you know, what users would like to see improved about the app and website, and even like what kind of uh, series readers might be interested in seeing on the service. And uh, it looks like Kingdom is one of the choices on there. So uh, Kingdom fans, uh, if you happen to be listening to this before the survey closes, uh, definitely go vote for Kingdom there. And yeah, you know, they ask about a lot of general stuff, but they do ask about specifically like the quality of their translations on their service. So I would like to think that they're open to criticism about the quality of their localizations. But again, only time will tell. We'll see if uh, they actually take any of this feedback to heart. I know that when I took the survey, I specifically mentioned Excuse Me Dentist as an example of a series that I would have liked to keep reading. But again, the translation of that in particular really just turned me off and really kind of took me out of the series, which is uh, honestly the worst thing I could say about like a comedy series in particular. Again, you really need to be on top of your game with that kind of stuff. But uh, yeah, um, again, hopefully you guys will still be able to take this survey by the time this episode is out. Um, if not, uh, I apologize, but I still thought it was worth bringing up the survey just in terms of uh, kind of wondering like, oh man, like what kind of changes are we going to see uh, happen to Manga Plus here within the next year? Like, is it also going to become something like the Shut and Jump app where you can pay a monthly fee to basically read everything that's available on the app? Is it going to continue to compete with the Shut and Jump app? Is the Shonen Jump app eventually going to be phased out? I really hope not. I really can't imagine what else Manga Plus can offer that the Shonen Jump app doesn't. I mean, I guess aside from exclusive access to Shonen Jump Plus titles in particular, I guess that's certainly a draw. But again, unless they really ramp up the quality of their localization and translation lettering, etc, etc, I personally don't know how interested I am in uh, keeping up with too many of their titles if they don't start to rethink uh, the quality of some of their certain series. that That's just me. I It's really the one thing keeping me from really wanting to fully support Manga Plus. Uh, that and also the, the sneaking suspicion that for some reason Shueisha is possibly in competition with uh, with their own partners over at Viz. It's just, it just seems kind of weird. I don't really understand it, but I mean, it, probably a money thing, you know. They can make the most money when they do everything in-house or outsource it to cheaper companies. And uh, that's just the capitalistic hellscape we live in. So on that depressing note, that's basically about everything I wanted to update you guys with. Again, I thought it would be easier just to kind of have a big old update and instead of me uh, stopping the podcast literally like every two minutes to let to like update you guys on news that that we had already reported on but like severely needed updates. So I think that's about it for any updates for now. If there if there's anything else that uh, I need to update you guys on throughout the podcast, you will hear me again. But until then, uh, enjoy the rest of the show. Uh, but we should probably move on to uh, some actual licenses we have to talk about. Indeed. So we talked a lot last year about a bubble zine licensing back kid. And that was a cool, like kind of uh, underground classic manga that they picked up. And they picked up another 
title that they'll be publishing later this year, and that is uh, an English edition of Fukui Eichi's uh, apparently game-changing martial arts manga Ikagorikan Young Judo Master. Hmm. Uh, basically about like a very, uh, it's pretty self-explanatory title, a very uh, proficient uh, young judo master. And it's apparently this manga was like very popular and influential in the post-World War II era. And it's considered like the starting point of shonen manga, as you know, and probably sports manga, as you know, in terms of like kind of the tropes it kind of really pioneered or like uh, popularized. Uh, more about the premise is that like, while well, helping to reignite a national craze for judo, it could go to kind of revolutionize both what was drawn in Japanese comics and how it was drawn. And established for Tony Manga a uh, lasting setting of Moron Raison Echera. So, yeah, it uh, both apparently, you know, demonstrated that uh, dramatized combat could drive not just uh, be intermittent scenes and storylines, but uh, also make for a multi-year series. So, yeah, it uh, really popularized the idea uh, that manga might serve as an edifying social purpose by building character among not just small children, but also uh, young boys and young men. It's dynamic. It sees the genres of sports and martial arts manga, which, you know, currently dominates shonen manga today, and it also still has a lot of elements of mature cinematic gekiga stylings to it, too. Mmm, okay. This definitely sounds right up my alley. I definitely want to support and check this out. Yeah, I really like the cover. The designs look really cute, and this reputation—it sounds really, really interesting to me as a like early pioneer of what would become, you know, kind of the shonen sports competition kind of uh, tropes and storylines we have now. And uh, more about the book is that you know it's going to be 262 uh, pages. It's also going to include an essay by Ryan Holmberg, so it's translating it. Uh, that'll be illuminating kind of the alt manga scene uh, that you know, kind of a post Tesla lineage uh, that Ikigurikan apparently, you know, initiated in Japanese comics. So, I like the tagline here. Come on, why? Years before everyone is kung fu fighting, they were judo fighting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, apparently production on the book is just about done. Uh, Holmberg is working on the essay, and it will be available. A free excerpt will be available uh, at TCAT, so, and a couple other conventions later this summer. And the book itself proper will be coming out later this fall slash winter. So, yeah, very excited for this. Mm, I'm definitely buying this. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, moving on from classic manga, some modern light novels across the Infinite World made a few light novel uh, licensing announcements recently, as well as an audiobook announcement. The, their new titles include Saints Related Happiness, a newly single now living in With the Demon Prince by Hari Garasumachi and Yotsuba Hanada. This will come out digitally on September 16th. Basically, you know, about a woman who appears enraged to the pound prince, but it's broken off because I guess uh, she's too old for him but you know she doesn't let that get her down because she's endured a lot of hardships over the past few years and so she just accepts the position and returns home but when she gets there she finds a boy with hers and it's a demon prince who grows at unbelievable speed and uh, falls head in love with her and so now he's determined to bring her back to his own country so uh, it's a romance gonna bloom between this easygoing saint and the native demon prince in this rom-com and uh you know, the element of him growing up at unbelievable speed is a little suspect to me. Maybe leads to some uncomfortable territory. But, uh, we will see how it actually pans out in the actual work proper. 
The next title that they are going to have coming out uh, will be Surviving Underworld is a Villain Fox Girl by Rhea I, illustrations by Mucha. This comes out September 30th digitally, and it's another uh, reincarnated as a villainous type story. You know, the protagonist has to save her twin sister in this world, and her favorite character from falling in love because she's cursed to literally die of a broken heart, apparently. She has to stop her twin sister and her favorite character from falling in love because otherwise she'll die literally from like a broken heart or heart attack and a heartbreak. That's funny. Uh, but, you know, it won't be easy because another reincarnate in this world is a big fan of, you know, her character. She's reincarnated the Fox Twins. And uh, they are determined to save uh, the character of Miku by making her fell in love in him instead. So which of these reincarnates are going to succeed in giving this silver-furred Fox Girl her happy ending, her sister, the villainess, or the main hero wants to make her his wife, Fuma? Uh, and then, will they end up working together for an event? Nico for falling in love with one of the other five Jabatlers and meeting her in the middle So, this has a fun premise of like, oh, like, it's not just that she has to prevent her death by, like, stopping, like, a romance from happening, but also she has to, you know, compete against another reincarnated person who's, like, obsessed with, like, that same character and having her hook up with him, and there's gonna be, like, kind of a competition between them, but they also have to stop her from also so setting up romance flags and getting into relationships with other characters in this world. So it's, it sounds pretty fun. Uh, the next title is Strongest Knight. is actually a cross-dressing noblewoman. This is by Aota Aoi and art illustrations by Hakuseki. This comes out digitally October 31st. This is about a woman who is like the daughter of a Marquess, but you know, he's kind of raised as a boy and is attending an all-boys military academy. Uh, she's a knight of idol status, but she has to hide her gender from everyone, even her friends, before graduating. But she dreams of just establishing an order of female knights in the kingdom, where knights are, like, exclusively male, and she's hoping one day she can just openly serve her nation as herself with honor. But then a monster appears, taking down night after night, and she sets out to accomplish what no man has done before, vanquish this beast of legend and earn a place in history. So this has a really cool premise, I think. You know, this woman who, because of, you know, just the sex patriarchal restrictions of her community, has to, like, you know, be raised as a boy in order to, and present as a boy in order to attend this military academy. But she wants to establish kind of a space. She wants to establish a way for female knights to have a place in the kingdom. And yeah, I think that has a really cool potential. You know, obviously a lot of Rosa Versailles influence uh, in this character. And I think, yeah, this has a a lot of interesting uh, potentials to explore some uh, nice topics about, you know, kind of fighting against gender conformity and uh, gendered expectations. And it also just seems like a just cool fantasy adventure action story. And the last title, Cross Infinite announced, is an audiobook. So You Want to Live the Soul Life, A Guide to Life in the Beastly Wild. Written by Fururu and is the illustrations are by Yuki Nekozuki. And narrating the book is Brian Nishi. Uh, this will be out by the time you listen to this episode. It will be out just about. It comes out July 5th. And it is about a guy who inherits his great-grandfather's house in a very peaceful little forest and he has a Mars orchard and, you know, he has to keep his family's business running so he quit his job and, you know, just uh, decided to live off the land. But this isn't any old forest. It's deep in the beastie wilds, which is an area off-limits to most humans. So, you know, the wilds are home for a lot of beast folk, neither animal or human, but uh, something in between. So Ben's doing a lot of demi-human folk. Uh, he's going to be making friends with as he just basically farms out in this forest. So this sounds like a very quaint, like very chill, like slice of life type setting story. And yeah, uh, seems very charming. And I 
would uh, be keen to, inter- to listen to this audiobook when it comes out too. So that does it for cross-infinite licenses, but now we're going to get into Viz licenses, and they had a lot of big announcements. Mm-hmm, for sure. All right, but yes, we have some Viz stuff to talk about, because they, they announced some really interesting stuff, and um, I can go over some of this real quick, because they basically announced a lot of uh, print releases for, you know, a lot of titles we're already kind of familiar with, such as uh, Chojin X, that's getting a print release. Oh, I should probably also mention, these announcements in particular are probably going to be coming out spring 2023, um, but yes, uh, Chojin X will be getting a print release, as well as uh, Shoha Shoten, that's really cool. I think we're also going to be getting print releases for uh, Ayashimon, which is really cool. You know, even though that just ended recently, I'm assuming it's getting a print release because it probably did pretty well on the Shonen Jump app, uh, obviously kind of like with uh, Hunter's Guild Red Hood. So it's really nice to see that, like, despite some of these series ending very prematurely, that, you know, if they do well enough on the app that Viz will actually give them print releases. I, I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. Plus, uh, Hell's Paradise is a strong seller. Mm-hmm. So I think that they feel that Yuji Kaku has enough attention behind their name that, you know, another work by them will be of great interest to manga collectors uh, and just the general audiences who like really like Hell's Paradise or really like and buy Ayashimon. So yeah, I think that'd be cool. And yeah, I, I'm glad to see it come to print. It's always cool to see another cancel short the jump series come to print. And I am particularly, you know, hopeful that the final volume might have more of an epilogue uh, to the series, more closure. So I would like to see that too. But uh, yeah, very, very happy to see, very interested to see uh, Ayashiman being released in print. Mm-hmm. In general, I'm just really happy to see more canceled jump manga get print releases over here. That's that's just not something we really see happen very often anymore. But that might happen a bit more often with the rise of Ayashimon and Red Hood. So, I mean, I, I guess we'll see. Also, just worth mentioning that they are going to be releasing art books for both Demon Slayer and Haikyuu, which, you know, Demon Slayer, I'm not that surprised. Haikyuu, I guess I shouldn't be surprised because Haikyuu does better than I think probably most people would assume, especially for a sports series over here in, like, North America. Haikyuu in particular, I'm... I'm really happy that Haikyuu is doing as well as it is. Like, the fact that they actually went out of their way, that they're going out of their way to, like, to release this art book, I think really shows you that uh, I think they believe in Haikyuu, which is really good. And then I guess just to talk about, oh, I guess uh, really quickly, I should also mention, they didn't really talk about a whole lot of, like, digital exclusive stuff. They only really announced Nine Dragons Ball Parade. But, you know, I'm glad that's getting a digital release. And just in general, I'm just glad more Cancel stuff's getting digital releases in general. You know, bygone are the days where we would cover a Cancelled Show to Jump series on the podcast and be like, hey, well, the only way you could read this is if you have those jump issues. Like, I'm really glad we don't live in that time anymore. I'm glad more of these are getting released. Now let's actually talk about the new titles they announced, uh, starting with Helk from Nanaki Nanao, in which it is an epic tale of the powerful human hero who aims to become the next demon lord. Um, I haven't actually heard of this title before this got picked up. Do you know anything about this one? Yes, Helk is actually very popular. I have heard about it for quite a while. Uh, it was covered on WMR a few years ago. Just like a fun fantasy series. And actually, uh, what's cool about this, you know, Ace is a huge fan of the series, and he's going to be lettering it. So, Helk, yeah. And I'm very <laughs> happy for him, and yeah, I'm very much excited to read the series with his lettering. Mm-hmm. Another Shoggy title as well, it seems. Indeed, a big Shoggy win as well. Mm-hmm. That is pretty cool. I'm sure Sakaki and V-Lord and Marion are happy. Um, 
The next title I really want to talk about is Tista from Tatsuya Endo, who you might know as the author of a little-known indie title called Spy Family, in which Tista leads a dual life as an assassin and a university student. What price will she pay to save the people she loves? And uh, so I, I actually looked into this a little bit. So Tista apparently, from what I can tell, was Tatsuya Endo's like first series, which is really cool, all the way back from 2007. So this is definitely an older title. Uh, Random Jump Square, and it seems like it's only two volumes, so it's like a pretty short work. So I'm really glad that Spy Family is doing well enough to where they're like, we should probably license more of Endo's stuff, and I hope more of his stuff is comes out. Yeah, and you're also about an assassin, so you know, <laughs> a lot of crossover in premise there that I'm sure is going to be appealing to fans of Spy Family too. So yeah, very excited to read Endo's earlier work as well and see uh, how much he grew from it to Spy Family. Mm-hmm. Uh, next up, I'm really excited for this one. Uh, we are getting two of Tatsuki Fujimoto's short story collections with Before Chainsaw Man 7 to 21 and Before Chainsaw Man 22 to 26. So, uh, from what I can understand, this basically includes, like, short stories from, obviously, before Chainsaw Man started up. So, I'm, I'm just, I'm just excited to see more of Tatsuki Fujimoto's, like, older stuff. I'm just, I'm really excited to just read more of his stuff in general. Like, I'm really happy that Viz is picking up more his stuff for sure i mean fujimoto has become one of the most interesting artists to keep up with his stories have been really really fascinating just between chainsaw man and goodbye airy and look back so yeah very excited to read even more of his work Mm -hmm. i hope we can make time to like read these and talk about them on the show because i would love to talk about these absolutely uh, next up is uh, one that I think we were kind of already, like, uh, aware of. Yeah, we mentioned it was announced a while ago that Viz had licensed and would be publishing The Girl That Can Get Her Girlfriend by Miyari Hanashi as a Viz original. But now we have the confirmation that it will uh, indeed be coming out in spring of 2023. So we have like more of a confirmed release date for that. And then uh, here in the issue was mentioning on Twitter that like uh, there are going to be like some new things that are going to be drawn for the book specifically. You know, there's going to be new pages. There are going to be edits from the webcomic version. And, you know, she's planning to finish all that by July for the book to go to print. So, you know, yeah, it's, it's very exciting. I've been a big fan of uh, Girl Who Can't Get Up Her Fun and Hearing she's work for a while since she started drawing it. So very excited to see her have a book published in print uh, by Vid and that's very, very cool. Very cabbie first. For sure. Uh, next up, we have Insomniac's After School from Makoto Ojiro, in which two sleepless teenagers find kinship as they escape to their school's astronomy observatory. And uh, this looks really interesting. I don't I don't actually know too much about the series, but it seems like people are excited for this one. Yeah, this is one that I saw a lot of people get very excited for. I also don't know uh, a lot about it, but the cover seems cool and the premise seems intriguing. So definitely keep check it out. Uh, next up, we have Love's Insight from Uoyama, in which love blooms between a tough delinquent boy and a spunky girl with a vision impairment. So, sounds like a pretty fun little, like, dynamic there. I'm assuming this is a part of Shoujo Beats lineup, I think? I don't know that for sure. I believe he, uh, that, yeah, it is Shoujo, so hopefully it would be under Shoujo Beat, but yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of Shoujo Beat, I'm pretty sure this is going to be under that imprint as well, with my special one from Momoko Koda about a girl who has sworn off beautiful boys, but meets a gorgeous pop star determined to win her heart. 
So again, another cute, very cute sounding title. And then I think next up we have Boys Abyss from Ryo Minanami, in which self-serving adults and broken dreams push a teenage boy trapped in a dead-end town closer to the edge. Um, this one I definitely remember seeing like some excitement about. I didn't look into this too much, I probably should have, but I saw a lot of people who were like, man, this, was, this wasn't the Minanami work I wanted, which I'm, I'm assuming there's another work of theirs that uh, people really wanted, but I guess didn't get announced. Uh, also, just to talk about a special one, that is a series I was thinking of, like it was announced for Shoujo Beat, but it's not actually a Shoujo series. I was like mm. thinking about, oh, like I, I remember the, I saw people like being kind of upset that like a non-Shoujo title was being printed under Shoujo Beat, because uh, there was also a case like that in a previous uh, serialization run where like a Jump Plus title was announced to be being published under Shoujo Beat, and that got some people very annoyed. And so this is another case with my special one. It's like, it's not a shoujo title, but Shoujo Beat is publishing it, I guess. And it's kind of like a part of this kind of growing trend that is frustrating a lot of shoujo fans, where this seems to be publishing a lot of titles that just are like romance series that have a certain aesthetic that seems like shoujo under the Shoujo Beat imprint, without them actually being shoujo. And so like, you know, I guess a lot of, you know, a lot of shoujo fan peers, but also like a lot of people who are like actually like really wanting more shoujo titles and Josie titles to be licensed are frustrated that, you know, a lot of romance titles that are not shoujo are being like marked marketed and presented a shoujo when actual shoujo titles are not being licensed. So I, I just thought to bring that up because that was a conversation, a comment I, about this that I saw around recently. No, I, I could I could see why people would be annoyed about that. Okay, so I found it. So Ryo Minanami was apparently the author of Hatsukoi Zombie, which ran in Shonen Sunday. So I'm assuming that's the title people really wanted. But hey, I mean, hey, you never know if Boys Abyss does well enough. Maybe they'll look into Hatsukoi Zombie. You never know. Yeah, it seems really cool, this series. So I'm just excited to read a manga by this artist. I've also seen people kind of compare this to Oshinoko. I don't know how true that is, but that did make me kind of interested in like checking it out. I mean, just in general, I, I, I thought it looked really interesting. So yeah, for sure. And then I guess the last two things I'll mention real quick is that we're obviously getting another Jinji Ito story collection with tombs. So more Jinji Ito's coming. Uh, and then we're getting a Disney manga based on the boy band from Turning Red for Town, which uh, I think is pretty cool. I'm not normally super interested in like Disney manga, but you know, I, I would check this out. I, I like Turning Red enough to where like, I think I think you could like make something really like fun and interesting out of this. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's a cute concept to make a, a manga based on those characters. They seem like a fun bunch in the film. So yeah, I'd be interested to read it. I don't know who I saw tweet about this, but like, I think it was Jekka who were like, oh, I can't believe it's not Tokyopop. It's like, it does feel like the kind of spin-off Disney manga diamond project you'd see Tokyopop published. But we've seen Viz also publish a lot more of these uh, in recent years with the Frozen 2 by Irina Tanamura. There's a Corella manga that they published last year, so it's kind of in line with that. But uh, it's a fun concept. I am actually surprised that Tokyopop didn't get a hold of this. This feels like the kind of thing they would they would want in particular. <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> um but yeah that's really about it for all the vis stuff that got announced and um um i think a lot of these titles like are actually really interesting and i i would i'm uh i really can't wait to check out a lot of these especially tista i think Tista's the one i'm like the most interested in but th th that's just because I, I like spy family so much that like i would really love it if we got more of tatsuya endo's work and and also in general i love that we're getting print releases for uh shoha shoten and uh 
and Ayashiban in particular. Like, I know that Shoha Shoten, obviously, uh, the art for that is done by Obata. And, you know, if you attach Death Note's name to most things, they'll probably sell. But still, considering the subject matter, like, I'm really interested in seeing, like, how well that does in print. For sure. I mean, I think what Obata's name it has, a, has a good chance of, like, attracting a lot of attention. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. Um, and yeah, I think that's about it for licenses, but we do have some other Viz news we want to talk about. Indeed, and this is kind of more of an industry piece, but we have heard that uh, Sai Won Song, who formerly was a Crunchyroll exec, is now going to be the new uh, vice president of content, aka animation, at Viz. And he's going to be leading Viz's content acquisition strategy and responsible for the execution of their co-production strategy, so... Presumably, he's going to be a person in charge of, like, what new titles this is going to license on the anime side and what uh, kind of titles they're going to have co-produce, you know, more co-productions like Seis Manos, which I feel like they haven't made anymore since Seis Manos, but uh, I still think it looks like they're still looking into it. So very, very keen to see what will come out of that. I mean, the fact that they have a new guy that is coming in who is, like, obviously been in the anime streaming space to oversee the development of this uh, shows that I think they're you know, focused still on uh, making their own original like anime content in addition to of course you know probably uh, broadening or making smart acquisitions to their anime catalogs. It'll be interesting to see what direction that a uh, song takes the anime side of his in. Mm-hmm. Yeah interested in seeing uh, what comes out of this. Absolutely. Now back onto the manga side of things, you know, we went over like, oh, the best selling titles of the industry are on the top of the show. But now it's time to celebrate the most beloved uh, critically manga titles and comic styles in general of the year. At this year's Eisner's, we've got the nominees for this year's Eisner's Awards and all the manga that have been nominated in the best US edition of International Material Asia category. And these books include uh, Chainsaw Man, Kaiju Number. 8, Love Sickness, uh, Junji to Story Collection, Robo Sapiens, Tales of Tomorrow, Spy Family, and Psalm 100. So a very Viz-dominated list besides Robo Sapiens. Uh, but that's a nice pull to see there. One thing I love to see is that they, in addition to, you know, listing these titles and their authors, they're also crediting the translators who worked on them. So that's nice to see the Eisners do. And uh, in terms of other rewards, some other books have been nominated for. Uh, Junji Ito has been nominated for the Best Writer Artist category. And Ike Exner's Comics and the Origins of Manga Revisionist History has been nominated for Best Academic Scarly Work. Uh, Hiroshi Noda and Takeru Wakamatsu's After World Domination has been nominated for Death's Digital Comic, and Hachi Issey's Disney's Cruella has been nominated uh, for Best Adaptation from another medium, and Zom 100 has also been nominated uh, in the Best Humor Publication category. So, interesting selections in terms of nominations here. Again, I think it is a little skewed for all of the manga picks for Best International Material Asia to be Viz titles except for Robo Sapiens, but uh, they're good titles. So, I'm curious to see what will eventually take the award this year. Mm-hmm, for sure. Indeed, uh, Rooney, now we're getting into more anime news, including, uh, some announcements of some new adaptations to look forward to. So, Ataku Elf is a really fun series that's lettered by good friend Aiden, and it's getting an anime. 
We got some casting announcements. We got that uh, the anime is going to be done by Studio C2C, directed by Takebumi Anzai, who's done work such as Kura Ore and Go Go 575. Uh, script's going to be written by Shogo Yakusawa of Food Wars and Scientific Railgun uh, fame. And uh, Takashi Oda, who designed on Wandering Witch and Harkon Received, is designing the characters and is going to be Chief Animation Director. And Akira Matsuda, who did music for Sound Film and Disney Bluebird, is coming to music. So uh, music-wise, I essentially think this is going to look good and the trailer of course looks quite cute and charming so yeah I've enjoyed what I read the manga a lot uh, especially Aiden's work on it and I'm very much looking forward to seeing how this anime turned out I think it'll be a very well liked one now in terms of updates on some uh, titles that we've been wondering when they'll be coming out, the second Sword Art Online progressive film is going to come out in Japan on September 2nd so September 10th rather so I hope in terms of turnaround for the North American release it'll come out probably a month after like uh, how the first film came out about a month after it's released in Japan but yeah I'm, I've been very keen to check out uh, the second film after really enjoying the first film last year so looking forward to that and I'm also especially looking forward to Winland Saga's second season covering my favorite part of the series probably Kettle, Kettle Farmer that's gonna come out January 2023 of course MAPPA's still doing it and all that but uh, also interestingly it's uh, kind of escape kind of the Amazon Prime uh, bubble. It's going to be available like on High Dive and Crunchyroll. So very uh, excited for that. That it'll have an even wider reach than the first season did. He's not just stuck on Amazon Prime. Now, uh, also for some new things to be talked about from like returning franchises that have been dormant for a few years, uh, there's going to be a new film based on Mononoke. Yeah, Mononoke, you know, it's kind of a cult favorite, just really beautifully interesting director series, uh, for the late 2000s. You know, 15 years out, we're getting a new anime film adaptation of it. So very, very keen to check this out, uh, and see how it turns out. Like it's not the kind of series you, it seems, it's a series that feels like kind of a cult favorite that, oh, you wouldn't expect this but yeah I mean I'm very much glad to see that uh, they're making a new project for it I'm yeah I'm really curious to watch it in addition to this film project, they're planning to start a Kickstarter uh, in a little bit that uh, is going to fund uh, a bunch of other projects to celebrate the 15th anniversary. And there's also going to be a stage play. So the Kickstarter will have opened on June 24th. It's not opened yet, but uh, very much uh, curious to see what kind of things they have planned for it. So kind of cool to see uh, this series get kind of a second win. And I'm especially, you know, speaking of series getting a second win, I am so excited for this next thing i mean i've been wanting it for so long uh, or i wanted to see a new project for so long and uh, it happened announced it and i was so excited that i walked out of Macross frontier <laughs> to this announcement and i just had such a huge reaction when i saw this news like we lord commented on that wow this is i you're more you seem more excited for this your reaction to this seemed more <laughs> enthusiastic and animated than your reaction to the new year's the show announcement uh but it it is super exciting. You know, we had the rumors and rumblings of this, but there's going to be a new Trigon anime project. Uh, is just very exciting. It'll be done by Studio Orange, so it'll be a CG adaptation, but Studio Orange is like best in the business with Beastars and Linus. So I think it'll do a great job translating kind of uh, Naito's aesthetic and world into that space. I think that's going to be very exciting. It's going to be available on Crunchyroll, not Netflix locked like Beastars. Oh, thank God. So that that's really great. 
Uh, designs are going to be done by Koji Tajima of Gantz. Oh, it's very exciting that this is going to be a new Trigun anime project. Trigun Stampede. Now, it has not been confirmed yet if this is going to be a new adaptation of the manga of Maxim. There's been rumors that this is going to be like just a new story set in the Trigun universe, like maybe a prequel to the series, probably set in uh, kind of a time, 100 year time after, you know, the Cross's ship, or Vash is kind of just like wandering around, having like a adventures before he meets like Meryl and Millie and the, the real plot of Trigun starts up in the main series. So that could be interesting. I just in general, you know, I love Trigun. I love Vash the St. Pia's character. I, I am just interested in uh, any new project, but I really hope that it is an adaptation of Trigun Maximum because, you know, I want to see my boys, Livio the Duff playing and Razzle the Trip of that animated. I want to see my girl, Lendra the Crimson Nail animated. I want to see their fight animated, damn it. I want to see one of my favorite damn fights in all of manga animated Livio <laughs> Razzle oh, versus wow. Elendira uh, as well as Wolfwood versus Livio uh, God I, I want my boys <laughs> I want my boys and I want my girl and I, I want that story the full story uh, of the manga animated because I, I really enjoy it and the versions of characters that are different from the versions that are in the anime and the characters that are in the manga that are in the anime all that stuff so yeah I'm very much uh, excited for this new Trigon project it's just such a huge I'm a huge Trigon fan uh, I'm so excited it's like been the first new Trigon anime project since Badlands Rumble in 2010. So first new project in 13 years. Basically celebrating the 25th anniversary of the anime next year. Uh, the first anime came out in 1998 and this new project coming out in 2023. So good timing on that. So yeah, really, really excited for this. Oh yeah. I'm really looking forward to this. I'm really looking forward to seeing how Orange handles the series. I'm very hopeful that it'll look good for sure. The one thing I'm really sad about is that because uh, in their initial like announcement tweet, they mentioned that they were going to have an all new staff and cast. And that makes me really sad because I, I know probably a lot of people grew up on like the dub of Trigun and I'm not trying to take anything away from, you know, from those people, but I'm very familiar with it through the Japanese version. So I really love Onosaka and Hayami and uh, obviously Hiromi Suru, you know, rest in peace. But you know, I'm assuming they're getting a new cast because obviously Hiromi Suru passed away and Onosaka and Hayami, uh, from what I looked up, like contracted COVID apparently. So like, I'm assuming they're still like recovering from that. So I don't know. I'm I'm a little sad that we're going to get a Trigun without Onosaka voicing Vash because he's legitimately like one of my favorite like anime voice actors. Uh, I really love pretty much almost all of his roles, especially Don Patch. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, it makes me sad that he's probably not going to be involved in this. But, you know, I'm still excited for this and I'll, I'll still check it out. So I'm still looking forward to this. For sure. Yeah, and dub cast wise, you know, they already replaced a lot of the cast for Badlands Rubble. But, uh, you know, I hope that they can bring Johnny back as Vash in the dub of this, of course, you know, because I can't imagine anyone else. Was he in Badlands? Johnny was in Badlands. Was okay. Like, one of the very few actors they got back for. Mm. Well, I hope they can at least get him back for the dub. That would be nice. Yeah. Oh, but yeah, this is this is really exciting. Like, it was really fun kind of keeping up with rumors like, ooh, there's a new Trigun anime probably coming out. And I'll be like, ah, that sounds cool, but I'll believe it when I see it. And And now it's happening. And one of the reasons why I think that this may be a prequel is that the Twitter account is 6 million bounty. And maybe that's just for like space reasons. But obviously, you know, Vash is a 6 billion double dollar man. So maybe this is like mm. his, an earlier point in his life and he didn't get that bounty. Yeah, but he was only only worth 6 million. Only worth 6 million. You know, it's like One Piece bounties, right? You know, <laughs> it's, it's impressive, but it just goes uh, into a whole nother level the further you go. 
No, for sure. Um, I mean, look, it would be cool if they adapted the original manga, but I mean, look, as long as it's good, I'm up for anything. I'm up for more Trigun, so I'm for sure looking forward to this, and I will be watching this week to week. Absolutely. And speaking of 3D CG remakes of a classic series, Astro Boy is also getting a new 3D CG uh, reboot series that is going to be directed from the creator of Miraculous, uh, Tales of Ladybug and Crack Noir, Thomas Astruck, uh, produced by uh, Shibuya Productions and Monaco and Metamon's uh, Method Animation. And yeah, so it's going to be 52 half-hour episodes that are going to kind of be talking about more modern topics, you know, uh, modern internet, social media, environment mental stuff and it's going to have like an international team of animators working at from japan and france and even beyond so this is a very cool project and it seems to basically be kind of a retooling of uh kind of the original french co-production plans for astro boy that kind of never went anywhere uh that you know Astrid was previously trying to do you know back in 2014 so uh, it seems like it's kind of retooled into like uh, now it's from doing from this stylized like 2d aesthetic to a 3D CG aesthetic. Uh, and in the meantime, there was already another Astro French Astro Boy series that came out a few years ago, Go Astro Boy Go, which was a completely separate project from this. But yeah, I mean, yeah, it's still, I'm an Astro Boy fan, very much looking forward to seeing what this is about. I haven't really engaged much with uh, Ladybug, but I have heard, like, you know, it has a big fan base, and so I'm interested to see what uh, he brings to the table uh, in directing this and adapting this for a uh, new age and new audience. Now, uh, also speaking of, like, classic manga franchises, this was a cool thing that finally happened. Mm, I have mixed feelings on this. Okay, let's just get this out of the way. So, uh, apparently on Roku, you can watch the 2018 Captain Tsubasa anime available in Japanese, English, and Latin American Spanish. This is kind of a big deal because Viz basically picked this up back in the day, you know, right before it uh, started airing. And, uh, you know, we were, we were uh, I especially was waiting for a simulcast of this, and uh, it just never seemed to happen. Never happened. And then it seemed like they dubbed it in English and just kind of threw it up on, like, a small no-name TV channel somewhere and now this is basically the closest it's been available outside of television and even then like if you don't i actually tried accessing this this morning because i don't have a roku device but i downloaded the roku mobile app and like so on the Roku mobile app, it gives me the option to watch it as like a channel. Like I can't access more than like the first episode, mm. I guess. Like, I, I don't really know how Roku devices work because I don't have one, but I was able to only watch one episode. And I mean, just a small little review. Uh, the first episode's good. I really want to watch the rest of this because it's produced by David Production. And it's basically produced like like if you were to produce like a season of JoJo on their end or whatever. It's very similar to that style. But yeah, this is basically the only legal way you can watch this. And even then, if you don't have a Roku device, um, you don't have access to it. Well, you can watch it on a browser. Oh, can you? Okay. Well, that's that's nice, I guess. There's no restrictions on browser. You can just watch any of the episodes. Okay, well, that's good. I guess that's fine. I would have really liked to watch this on like an app or something. I'm, I'm you know, th this is just me being picky then. Okay, well, I guess it's available some way, but still, I will never forgive Viz Media for denying Captain Tsubasa the possibility of actually gaining some real exposure in the West, like via a simulcast. You know, like we probably wouldn't have gotten the manga for it or whatever. Like it probably wouldn't have done that well. But like, there's a chance it could have actually done well and actually gotten an audience. And I could have watched this week to week, but nope. 
it's fine, whatever. Yeah, it's very weird that they licensed this, but then they didn't do anything with it and didn't make it any available anywhere until now. Like, at least there are a lot of things they license that they just don't promote around or the radar, like Genie Family. But at least Genie Family ended up, like, being on Tubi or whatever. Like, this is... And it didn't take this long for it to be somewhere, like... You know, this is kind of ridiculous that they waited so long to just make it available streaming somewhere. Uh, to say nothing of like, they're probably not going to be any physical media plans, which no, is also frustrating. Not at all. You know, I'm glad you told me I could watch it through browser at least. So that's one way I could watch it at least. But I, I would have preferred this to be on like something a little more accessible. Like even Tubi would have been good, you know? I mean, yeah, Tubi is pretty great. I enjoy that. So yeah, I don't know. It's kind of frustrating. It's only on this one place. And, uh, the app, the Roku app. Is well, maybe best. maybe eventually it'll end up on Tubi or whatever. But I guess until then, I guess I'm going to be watching on my laptop, which I guess isn't the worst thing in the world. I, I just prefer watching stuff on my TV. So that that's just a me thing. But it's available somehow, I guess. <laughs> and I guess I'll take what I can get at this point. For sure. Um, but, you know, let, let's talk about something that'll actually be uh, way more accessible, because during Netflix's Geeked Week, uh, they announced that they're going to be uh, producing some Junji Ito anime. Uh, we're going to be getting Junji Ito Maniac, Japanese Tales of the Macabre, which is going to be a new anime based on Junji Ito's various you know, horror stories. It's going to be coming out in 2023 and will include uh, 20 stories from Ito's body of work, uh, some of which will be animated for the first time, uh, such as Tomie Soichi and the Hanging Balloons, which is really cool. And yeah, I'm really excited for this. I mean, I was already really excited for um, Uzumaki, which I really hope that comes out this year. Future Colton here to uh, interrupt the podcast once again to dash the hopes and dreams of past Colton to say that the Uzumaki anime has been delayed once again. It was announced via the official Uzumaki anime Twitter at Uzumaki Anime 1 that... Uh, they've had to delay Uzumaki once again, specifically because the staff doesn't really feel like it's fully finished yet. They really want to take as much extra time as they can uh, to make the show look as good as possible and to make sure that they don't deliver a shoddy product, which, hey, you know what? I'm all for. As much as I was really hoping that Uzumaki would come out this year, you know what? If they feel like they really need more time to really polish it up and uh, make it as good as possible, then I'll wait as long as it takes. And so, yeah, just wanted to give a small update on that. Back to the show. But uh, yeah, I'm really excited to see how this turns out. I'm really hoping it turns out better than the original Junji Ito story collection that we got, which I haven't actually seen a lot of myself, but I, I haven't heard super great things. So I'm really hoping that this ends up being a bit better. Like, I'm just in awe of, like, how much in demand Junji Ito's stuff is, like, just all across these different platforms. Like, people really want a piece of the Junji Ito pie. Oh, yeah. He's a big name. And, um, yeah, his books are doing extremely well. And that's attracting uh, attention in the adaptation space, even more so now. Mm -hmm. So... I don't think we have much more information than that. Uh, I mean, they uh, he did do like a little segment on their stream where like he basically talked about like uh, some of the origins behind like some of his stories and like uh, shared like character designs and stuff, which I thought was really cool. And yeah, I'm just uh, I'm, I'm hoping for the best. I'm really looking forward to checking this out when it's on Netflix uh, next year. Absolutely. Uh, but speaking of uh, Netflix stuff, Lum. Yeah, Netflix is also producing a live action adaptation of ZOM 100. Now, speaking of Shaggy Wins, like, yeah, 
the promo image of it seems a little pretty fun. So yeah, I mean, this uh, there's not too much more to say about it right now other than the main character is going to be played by actor Eiji Akaso. But yeah, I mean, Zom 100 seems like a really fun series. You know, uh, it's been doing pretty well, I think. So yeah, I'm very much looking forward to seeing how this adaptation turns out. And maybe just like the other live action adaptation of a popular Sunday series that is done very well for Netflix, Alice in Borderland, this will also do quite well. Mm -hmm. So very much look forward to that. Speaking of live action adaptations, uh, Let's Go Karaoke by Yamawayama is also getting a live action adaptation in Japan, opening theaters next year. It's going to be directed by Nobuhiro Yamashita, who did the live action Cream Lemon film, and has a script by Akiko Nogi, who wrote the Inuo, uh, the newest film from Yuasa that's coming uh, later this summer in the US, and then it also did the Library Wars film and the live action I Am a Hero film. So I've read all of this, and you know, I think that it's an uh, interesting story about like a guy who's like kind of roped into uh, doing karaoke with a uh, yakuza you know so it's interesting but yeah i wonder how they're going to expand it to a full-length film uh, i'll be curious to hear more about it and see how it turns out uh speaking of live action adaptations uh we've gotten more news about the live action one punch man film that's been in development justin lynn has been attached to direct it that's right justin lynn of the fast and the furious franchise so they got a big action director on this uh maybe he i mean he had some beef with uh vin diesel but you know <laughs> hey he left from one big project to this so that's pretty cool that he uh he's now attached to this and uh yeah it makes me even more excited for it yeah I, I think this fits like I could see how this would fit and actually this does make me more excited to watch this <laughs> yeah I think the stylization uh, sense of action humor is going to be very fun you know and we talk you know obviously Fast and Furious is all about like racing action but if you watch like uh, the films and look at the combat scenes those are also pretty uh, again Fast and Furious uh, so like yeah I think that uh, that can translate very well and uh, very much looking forward to seeing how it'll turn out and speaking of movie news, there's a very exciting announcement from G-Kids that they have acquired the theatrical and home video rights to Evangelion 3.0 plus 1.0 for theatrical release later this year, as well as home video release a little bit after that. So, you know, we rolled the moment, you know, it's so great to finally, finally watch the final rebuild film last year, but a lot of us were bemoaning, I wish I had the opportunity to see this in a movie theater. Well, thanks to G-Kids, we are getting that chance, and I'm very much looking forward to when that theatrical release is coming and seeing it on the big screen, because it is such a beautiful film. I can't wait to see it in a theater. I am curious whether, uh, I'm sure it'll be able to use the same dub as Amazon Prime because uh, Kara commissioned that themselves, so yeah, I am very much excited for this. Big Ava fan is like, you know, big fan of that final film. Very excited to see it in theaters. For sure. Um, but yes, as much as I would like to go over some of our popularity poll news this episode that we have admittedly been putting off for a while, I think we are about to run out of time for this episode. We've, we just had so much other news that we really needed to talk about this episode, uh, and I'm sure that we'll have to get back to on our next news episode also by the time this comes out. Um, but 
I think we should at least let people know about a poll that uh, is still going on at the time of this recording and should be still going by the time this episode comes out. And that is the JoJo's Bizarre Adventure 10th anniversary anime poll. Uh, essentially, uh, what Viz is doing is uh, in celebration of the 10th anniversary of the JoJo anime, they are running a poll where users can pick their favorite episodes from basically each season of the show, which I, I think that's pretty cool. I would love to see the results for this and see like which episodes are people's favorites. For sure. I definitely voted in it. And yeah, I'm curious to see yeah, what are the fan favorite episodes of each part. Mm-hmm. Now, speaking of favorite episode polls, you know, in anticipation for the Towson Blood War adaptation coming out this fall, uh, over the summer, uh, you know, TV Tokyo is going to basically uh, be rebroadcast, or Tokyo MX is going to be rebroadcasting some select fan favorite episodes of Bleach, and they opened up a poll for people to vote on their favorite episodes. Mm. I mean, the poll is closed already, but I just wanted to let people kind of know, oh, that's kind of interesting to hear results. I also just wanted to talk about uh, basically, you know, what episodes I chose, because I did vote in this and I thought about like, what are my favorite Bleach anime episodes? Like, what are the moments, the episodes of Bleach that stood out to me? So I'll quickly mention my favorites. Basically, you were able to vote for 13 because, of course, you know, over the summer, 13 weeks, 13 episodes. So the episodes I chose just in chronological order were episode 16. That's when Ren Renji and Byakuya are introduced and, you know, Ichigo fights Renji. You have the big confrontation there. Episode 32 is Renji and Rukia's backstory, uh, which I always found very interesting, compelling. It's also the conclusion of the fight with Ichigo, you know, where he basically tells Ichigo, hey, please save Rukia and stuff like that. He kind of finally swallows up his pride to admit to himself he's not happy with the situation. I chose episode 39, the conclusion of the fight with Ichigo versus Kenpachi. You know, the moment where he finally beats Kenpachi and Kenpachi is like kind of lamenting the fact that he doesn't know his Schwartz name and just kind of fearfully asks if he can learn it and stuff like that. I always find that a very memorable scene. I chose episode 44, Uryu versus Mayuri, a great moment. I always love just the end of that fight and stuff like that. Uh, just him like totally obliterating Mayuri. Of course, he gets away of Star Force, but it was a very satisfying moment. I chose episode 56, Yoruichi versus Soifan. Uh, always liked that fight of the character, obviously, because it's you know, very queer. Soifan's feeling for Yoruichi, but I thought that backstory uh, and the fight between them were cool. Of course, I chose episode 61, which is the big reveal that Aizen was the mastermind all along. Uh, episode 111, which is where Ishin is revealed to have been a soul reaper the whole time and takes down Grand Fisher in one blow. Uh, episode 166, which is special to me because that's the first episode of Bleach I ever watched. And it's basically the rematch between Ichigo and Grimjow, where Ichigo is like kind of losing himself in his hollow form, but then like kind of Orihime kind of helps him kind of get back to his senses. And then episode 167 is the conclusion of the fight, and then uh, Grimjow's backstory, uh, where he basically, <laughs> in order to grow as a hollow, eight old other members of his pack, essentially, which I thought was a very interesting, compelling story. Uh, episode 198, Mayuri versus Zale Opero. Uh, <laughs> the conclusion of that, where he traps Zale Opero in that illusion, where he experiences time so slow as he's like slowly dying is always memorable to me 217 Yuichika versus Charlotte where I just like that fight because you know it's a fight between two very flamboyant characters that uh that was very enjoyable it's just nice to see Yuichika have a chance to shine so uh, oh he's actually just as skilled as the other members in his squad even more so than Akaku hiding his manga he was also hiding his true power and stuff like that so I thought it was cool uh 281 which is the conclusion of the fight with Baragon I really like that moment where Hachi like has kind of sectioned off the hand that like Baragon is like kind of affected with his power that is like decaying him 
and he like transport that inside Baragon to like disintegrate him from the inside. And he Baragon makes this one last ditch attempt to try and take out Aizen who he resents so much and it just completely fails and we just see his face just like in despair as he like just fades away I really like that vibe that that character inclusion of that plot and uh the last episode I voted for was 283 which was the conclusion of uh, Stark versus Shinsui so it's like the character and like how that fight ended up turning about kind of a tragedy again of Stark's defeat so yeah just wanted to go over some of my favorites I'm gonna be curious to see uh what were the fan favorites We'll probably know as the summer goes on what episodes the fans as a whole have chosen to be their favorite Bleach episodes and moments from the show. And uh, yeah, I'm very, very curious to see how that turns out. Unfortunately, I wish we talked about this while it was still running. But yeah, uh, it was something I was very interested in. Because, uh, you know, when I was voting on it, it really made me think about how, what are the moments of Bleach that I remember the most enjoying the most and like the episodes I really remember enjoying a lot when I first watched them and surprisingly you know even though I give it a lot of shit for pacing and stuff there is a lot of moments in that whole Hueco Mundo rank arc that I really really like so yeah it's fun to look back on that stuff uh, but yeah, unfortunately, I don't think we're going to have time to go over the rest of our poll news. We we might we might try to find time to do that either next episode or the episode after. I don't think we want to put that off like too much longer. Uh, so we'll we'll try to find time soon. The polls aren't going anywhere, I suppose. So we can check in on them uh, the next time we have an opportunity for sure. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I guess for now that's going to be the end of our news. And I guess uh, Lum, do you still want to do community shoutouts? Yeah, I have some new shout-outs to mention. So we talked about a lot how Spy Family is dominating the sales charts recently. And for good reason. There's a lot to enjoy about the series from characters and humor. But there's also a lot of cool teens uh, in the series and readings of the series uh, to appreciate and enjoy as well. This being a Pride Month, though, you know, I, there was a great piece by Alex Henderson on Anime Feminist about kind of queer resonance in Spy Family. Basically, how Spy Family kind of critiques the heteronormative family structure that is so often idealized in its relationship of a family unit that is presenting as like a functional traditional family unit, but is actually all a pretense on their part. They are like a concocted family that is putting on this act, performing heteronormativity, <laughs> this relationship family relationship to others and that's a very queer thing it is very much like you know perhaps a queer reading of like these queer characters who are hiding aspects of their lives and themselves from uh, the world who have kind of this in this relationship with each other kind of a protection be able to pass in the in the world and society as like oh we are conforming to like traditional family expectations expectations of what a family should be but in reality you know they're hiding secrets about themselves and what they're actually like the entire conceit of the their family is built on kind of a, a pretense that they're kind of uh, putting on a show for everyone. And I think that it's a really interesting angle to kind of look at the family relationship in Spy Family and kind of extrapolate, you know, socially how it presents a critique of, again, the narrative family unit. I think it just is a fun reading of the series from a queer angle, even if Spy Family doesn't have any like explicit queer characters in it. There's definitely a queer reading to be made of like kind of the found family and the the pretense of being in a, a straight and a normative family unit that a spy family presents 
And, you know, it's Father's Day at the time of recording this, so I thought there was like a fun feature on Crunchyroll recently from this uh, recurring column series, A Mom's Guide to Anime by Yali Perez. And uh, this column uh, was about five of the best anime dads. And it's not like a ranked list, but it's a list that shows kind of qualities in very supportive male fodder figure characters in different series that shows examples of like, you know, elite masculinity and role models that are really appreciable, you know, for values like unconditional love with me. Hughes, Pride and Fate in Byakuya, Loyalty and Honor from Aruka uh, from Naruto, Trust and Support from Fuji, Takahinomoto, uh, Sakura's father and uh, Karka for Sakura, and Courage from everyone's favorite dad, uh, Gohan's real dad, Piccolo. <laughs> so yeah, I thought that was like a fun feature to do, a fun angle so to do it for like a Father's Day, you know, best anime dads column. You know, recently I went to go see Macross Frontier in theaters and loved it, had a blast with it. And what's interesting about Macross Frontier is not just, you know, the story itself, the text of the series, but also like kind of the entire background of the series and, and particularly the background of this release, the English subtitles of it. Because apparently, you know, these English subtitles, you know, this uh, is a great feature on ANN about this. These subtitles were produced many, many years ago. The subtitles that, uh, and of being shown alongside this film. They've been around for a decade because they were developed for a Japanese special edition Blu-ray set back in uh, the early 2010s. And they basically interviewed all the English Macross fans who worked on it, uh, worked on these subtitles for this release, who, you know, are known in the Japanese cross community as the Foreign Legion or Gaijin Butai because they're just so stand out as like the biggest uh, Western Macross fans. And yeah, they... It, they profile like kind of how they worked uh, alongside Kawamori uh, on these special screenings and then uh, basically put together uh, these subtitles and it goes back into further history of like kind of their history moving across and kind of their their fan localization projects they had done in different forms over the years including for uh, YTV and as part of Anime Souls and stuff like that but yeah it's just a cool story of it's just like how this group of really passionate Macross fans ended up creating uh, the subtitles for the official Macross uh, Japanese Blu-ray of it and then now those same subtitles are being shown in American theaters and that's really cool I thought so I thought this was a really fascinating feature that uh, really enhanced uh, my appreciation of uh, the film even all the more so and I love the film it's just the story behind the, the subtitles and the road it has taken to get this film officially shown in North America uh, is really really astonishing and you know also just props to the Macross fan base which is also just super interesting and just long time dedicated to this series moving into kind of the, the podcast sphere now but I really enjoyed the History of Japan podcast recent episode on Hayao Miyazaki now Isaac Meyer I, I love uh, the History of Japan podcast for Japanese history but he hasn't talked a lot about anime and manga because as he's self-professed you know he's not that much into anime and manga he doesn't really watch or read a lot of it so he didn't really know when or how to approach a Hayao Miyazaki episode until recently he kind of figured out a really cool angle about it which is like looking at kind of the life of Miyazaki and how his kind of formative experiences and formative political experiences are really represented in his work. Uh, particularly Miyazaki's history as being a part of the Anpo generation, like the student protest against like kind of the, you know, Japan peace corps in the aftermath of World War II, which kind of gave like uh, the American military a lot of power in Japan and very precariously during like the Cold War era, which a lot of Japanese uh, leftists just were not 
happy about and Miyazaki most certainly was included and in that political uh, movement and mindset you can uh, learn a lot about the values Miyazaki has as a person that are then kind of espoused in his works and how anti-war they are and also how environmental uh, they are so I thought that was an interesting background and context to place Miyazaki's work in in that like kind of history and like his history uh as like kind of a you know just an activist you know before becoming a filmmaker but as also alongside as becoming a filmmaker so i thought that was a very very cool podcast that really you know talks about like kind of mizaki from an angle you know that is not just looking at the films i mean it does look at the films directly as text in terms of like what they're saying but it's like applying like okay well here's the history behind why Miyazaki ended up you know because of these circumstances having these values in his life and I think that's just a super cool angle to take and I also want to recommend you know we talked about Sailor Moon having this new edition coming out I also want to recommend like this new uh, feature that is on uh, Multiversity Comics called Mooniversity, where Christopher Shutabet is looking at Sailor Moon a few chapters at a time, basically a wall in a time, kind of, you know, inspired by this new uh, release of the series, even though he's not like exactly following uh, the new release, but like kind of going through it like uh, art by art or like rather like you know, the original Takaban releases can actually put out at a time. And I think it's cool to just have like a fresh perspective on Sailor Moon or like just kind of a breakdown on Sailor Moon, just kind of a few chapters at a time and I've been enjoying reading it and following along and uh, I think that'll do it for the community shout outs I want to mention on this episode and there's been so much going on so much more to talk about that we'll surely talk about in future episodes but for now I think we will wrap up for the day and head into the wrap up of our show for sure uh, thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of the show. I guess we could tease this because I'm pretty sure this is the next episode that should be coming up after this one. We're finally going to start releasing our uh, sort of more Pride Month themed episodes. They are a little late, but that's just kind of how our schedule ended up working out. It's really more going to be like a Pride summer. Uh, I'm, I'm cool with that. August, <laughs> if things go as planned. And truthfully, we have not really consistently uh, produced or released episodes in uh, June, unfortunately, just because of how our schedule works anyway but yeah no we do have a lot of episodes planned on those Riku manga uh, this year that'll be coming out over the course of these next two months a lot of which we need to still record so again plans may change but we can tell you that our next episode will be a revisit on boys run the riot with the localization team of the series and it was a lot of fun to go back and talk with leo mcdonough translator of the series, but also bring on the editor of the series tj ferrantini as well as talk to Ashley Castle, the letterer of the series. We had a really great discussion of the entirety of the series, and uh, I had a lot of fun talking about it with them. It was just a blast, and yeah, I think you guys will really enjoy it if you enjoyed our interview with Leo and discussion of the series last year as well. Mm -hmm. Yes, I really can't wait for that episode to come out. I thought it was a really good discussion as well. Uh, But until then, uh, we might as well plug everything involving the podcast and letting people know where they can find us, starting with my good friend Lum. Where can the good people find you? You can find me at Lumberyasha on Twitter, Lumberyasha on a variety of places like Animation Revelation and Any List. Writers on Lumberyasha, that's where you can find me. You can also read my review, 
news on all-comic.com, or rather mangamavericks.com. Uh, we got a lot of manga coming in, a lot of uh, reviews planned to go out. Look forward to more on there. That's where you can find the other podcast I do, Lam Squad, the Yurusi Yatsura-focused podcast devoted to discussing the wonderful and wacky world of Mukashi Yurusi uh, We have a lot of fun discussing Viz's newest releases of the manga, the movies available on Crunchyroll streaming and on Discotech Blu-rays, and we are so excited to talk about the new anime coming out later this fall. So we love the series so much. We love talking about it. If you enjoy Yurusi Yatsura, the Rook Kakashi classic comedy manga, definitely give us a listen. You can find us on Twitter at Lemonisware Squad. You can search for our YouTube channel, uh, by searching Love Squad in the search bar. And you can listen to us on pretty much every podcast platform you can think of. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Anchor. And we cross-post episodes to the Manga Rats feed and post episodes early, sometimes multiple months in advance early, on the Manga Rats Patreon. And if you like the art I make, the illustrations I do for our show, and uh, the animations and illustrations that I draw in general, you can find a lot of that stuff on my Instagram, at SidArtWorks. All right, but as for me, I'm Colton. You could find me on Twitter at SniperKing323. I also host and produce a lot of my own other podcasts besides this one that you can find links to over my personal blog at coltoncorner.wordpress.com. Over there, if you click on the podcast page, you'll basically find links to everything I'm involved in, uh, including past projects I'm not involved in as well, or other guest spots I've done for other shows. So basically, if you're interested in any other podcast I'm a part of, you can find them all at coltoncorner.wordpress.com. But as for Manga Mavericks, you can find every episode over at mangamavericks.com. That's where we post every episode first, unless you're a patron of ours at patreon.com slash mangamavericks. Uh, we're at the $2 tier. You will have the chance to listen to select episodes of the podcast before we put them up on our main feed. Basically, if there's an episode of the podcast we have edited, but it's not time for us to put it up on our main feed just yet, we will put it up on the Patreon at the $2 tier uh, for people to listen to exclusively before anyone else. Um, but admittedly, that really depends on our schedule and what we have done at any given point. In time. So if you want more reliable content, you really should sign up for our $5 tier, uh, where we post a new bonus podcast exclusive to the Patreon at the end of every month. Uh, right now, our latest bonus podcast you can listen to is our discussion of Akira Toriyama's one-shot entitled Kintoki. Uh, we have been talking about a lot of Akira Toriyama manga on the show lately, uh, so we decided to do an extra bonus discussion on his Kintoki one-shot all the way back from 2010 uh, with our good friend Randy from the We Got a Podcast. Uh, and it was a pretty fun discussion, despite how we may have felt about the one-shot compared to Toriyama's other works. But yeah, if you've really been enjoying our Toriyama discussions specifically lately, you should really sign up for our Patreon and listen to that, along with our other bonus podcasts that we have been uploading since about 2018. We have multiple hours of bonus podcast content that you can listen to, once again, over at patreon.com slash mavericks. If you sign up for our Patreon and support us, it's really the best way to do so. Any patronage you guys are willing to give us is really appreciated, you know, because everything we make on our Patreon goes back to keeping up the website up and keeping up the podcast. Um, so it really helps us out in the long run. So once again, that's at patreon.com slash mavericks. Uh, please sign up if you can. Uh, but as for everything else, you can follow us on Twitter at manga underscore mavericks or on Tumblr at mangamavericks.tumblr.com for all the latest updates on the podcast. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash mangamavericks, uh, where we post different excerpts of the podcast, including some exclusive content every once in a while. Once again, that's at youtube.com slash mavericks. Please subscribe to us. Email us anything at mavericks at gmail.com. Uh, do you have any thoughts on any of the news we talked about this episode? Uh, are you reading anything that you want us to talk about on the show? You know, email us about anything manga-related, podcast-related, or whatever. We'd love getting emails from you guys. And uh, if you send us an email, we'll read it on the show. Once again, that's at mangamavericks at gmail.com. 
But the most important thing, guys, is that you subscribe, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. We're on so many different platforms at this point. Uh, but on Apple Podcasts and Spotify especially, if you leave us a rating and review, it really helps the visibility of our show. And just in general, we love getting feedback from you guys, uh, whether it be positive or negative. Because, you know, whatever feedback you give us, uh, we take that very seriously and we want to use that feedback to make the show uh, as good as possible. But all right, that is going to be about it for this episode of Manga Mavericks. This has been episode 206, and we'll see you guys next time for episode 207. Bye, guys. Sayonara! Sayonara!